Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Welcome in on a Friday morning. Football Friday. we got to focus on the NFL now. The colleges are all done, but the NFL playoffs are starting. Doubleheader Saturday, tripleheader Sunday, and then for the first time, a Monday night football playoff game. Because Monday night in primetime is more valuable than Saturday at 11 a.m. The Rams and the Cardinals have to play on Monday night. It doesn't matter to the loser, but the winner is going to have a very short turnaround. Can you imagine the Cardinals winning on the road, which could happen, and then having to play another road game on Sunday? Yeah, that's brutal. But NFL's chasing the money. We're going to talk a little football right now, get a little look at the playoffs. Lincoln Kennedy, a portion of our conversation yesterday. If you want to hear the whole thing, you can get it wherever you get podcasts. Everything in the show, you can get wherever you get podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Google Play, blah, blah, blah. Stitcher up, up and down the line, wherever you get your podcasts. Here's part of our conversation with Lincoln Kennedy. The Bengals haven't won a playoff game since the 1990 season, the 91 playoffs. They beat the Oilers. And the Oilers moved to Tennessee. We don't even have the Oilers anymore. That brand is gone, <laughs> which is too bad because that was a great brand. Yeah, the was, Raiders haven't won a playoff game since they beat the Titans, a.k.a. the Oilers, uh, in the AFC title game in 2002. Now, the Bengals have been to the playoffs. The Raiders have played one playoff game since then. Now, as you point out, you know they got guys coming in from other teams, so that can bring some playoff experience to it. But two teams with so little success... How does that figure in? What does that matter? Who do you trust the most when you don't have any recent experience to trust anybody? Well, you, you know, you just, you just dated me because the Raiders haven't won a playoff game since I played, which was two decades ago. <laughs> so you, you just dated me. I was on that team that beat the, AFC Titans, uh, beat the Titans for the AFC Championship and ended up going to the Super Bowl. So, yes, I, I remember vividly. You know, when you talk about the, for the Raiders, the, the 2016 season, Derek Carr was on pace, in my opinion, to have an MVP caliber type of year until his ankle was broken. They ended up going to the playoffs to play the Texans with a rookie quarterback, which is the first time that ever happened in the playoffs. So you're right. As, as this roster sits right now for the Raiders, there were only two players that were on that team the last time they went into the playoffs, Jalen Richard and Derek Carr. That's it. Everyone else is brand new. Now, there have been other guys that have had playoff experience, Super Bowl experience at KJ Wright with Seattle and stuff like that. But it doesn't necessarily carry over to where the Raiders' momentum is. So I think that kind of affects them when you talk about this game. Uh, for the Bengals, pretty much really, really similar situation and even a lot more just brand new team. But, you know, it, it's, one, it's what provides for maybe a, a possibly entertaining and exciting game. Because the Bengals throughout this season have got their offense started. They're, they're, they've been able to air out the ball. Joe Burrow is having a, a tremendous year. He's got tremendous support from wide receivers. And this Bengals team's beat the snot out of the Raiders, I think it was week 11, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, you know, they, they, the Raiders have got a little bit of a um, sort of an experience of playing this team and seeing this team up close. And the Bengals have, have got the, you know, their work cut out for them. But they're division winners. So they get a chance to host a football game. So it should make for an exciting wild card. Anything could happen. I think the momentum of both these teams, um, and, and more so the Raiders and the Bengals, because I've never liked backing into the playoffs, but I understand why Cincinnati uh, sat a lot of their starters for the Cleveland game um, and, and just you know came in with the loss. I think they feel comfortable with what they have. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out because weather will be an issue. 
um, whether it's snowing or it's just downright cold, it's going to be blistery one way or the other out there. Um, and the Raiders aren't necessarily familiar with playing in that type of cold, playing at Allegiant Stadium, and, and more importantly, get the benefit of the doubt on the road games that they had this year. Uh, and, and whether or not Cincinnati is, is ready to really to handle those. So it should be a very entertaining wildcard game. Do you think Burrow is on the verge of being really, really big team, big time? I mean, super elite because he's got the stats that would look like it, but he doesn't have the experience in the postseason. Well, that's that's where it's going to come. I mean, that's where it's going to come up, and this is his first opportunity at that. Uh, I already think Joe Burrow is considered one of the elite quarterbacks by a lot of people around the league. Just doesn't have the wins to support it. Now, when you talk about elite, you're talking about Aaron Rodgers who's got a Super Bowl win, or Tom Brady who's got several Super Bowl wins, and that's sort of what's gauged as far as a quarterback. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, the same thing. Um, he's not there yet, but this is his first opportunity to maybe start that journey to be that. So at least he's got a little more experience in the league. I'm looking at New England trying to ride a rookie quarterback in the playoffs and thinking Jalen Hurts with Philadelphia and then the situation New England finds themselves in with Mac Jones. Like Those are the two teams to absolutely pick against. You buying that? No, not necessarily, because the difference is going to come down to coaching. It's the difference maker in Bill Belichick. You know, Belichick has had a... Uh, a, a tradition, if you will, or a history of taking away what opposing offenses have done well. Mac Jones has been able to play within his own self. Not necessarily have to to, to, to be that you know that go getter that does a lot. You know, Bill Belichick is supported with a defense and a good team, um, but but Mac Jones has made those critical throws or those those throws that needed to be made at, at the right time. I think he plays within himself. Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia Eagles. I you know I, I think they're they're on borrowed time. I didn't think they were a playoff bound team, even though they found themselves in the playoffs. But I still think they've got some ways to go. But the thing is, is that they're good. Their formula for winning football games is a good old fashioned formula that carries over this time of year. They're able to run the ball. If they're able to run the ball, if the team is able to run the ball, you're able to have success. And that's what the Philadelphia Eagles have had the pleasure of having. Momentum, Lincoln, can be fickle at any level. And you got some teams that are storming in the playoffs, other teams like Arizona, maybe even the Rams with their disappointing loss last week. Not that they're backing into it, but they don't really have the momentum. How much do you believe in momentum playing well at the end of the season, being able to carry over? 100%, because I think momentum builds confidence. I think if you go into the playoffs and you sit there and create excuses of why you weren't able to win or you, the way that you got there, I think it kind of affects your, your overall sort of a, a, a draw for the game as a team, collectively as a team. If you're able to win, you're confident. Win, winning builds confidence. That's why I've always said, even in preseason, it doesn't matter when the wins or losses, but wins build confidence. You're able to better coach off of a win than you can off of, off of a loss on this, on this level. And more importantly, players who look at themselves looking forward going forward are more ecstatic more happy to come off of a win rather than coming into off, off of a loss the Rams and the Cowboys are both 12 and 5 which is right. a, a pretty good record but I don't think the public really trusts either team uh, the Cowboys in part because they beat up on a really bad division went 6 and 0 there and went 6 and 5 against everybody else and then to PK's point the Rams just when you want to trust him you watch him you're like oh what was that that was painful Blowing a 17-point lead. Which team do you trust less, the Cowboys and the Rams? Oh, that's a good question. Um, oh, boy. You know what? It, 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 to me, and to be honest, guys, and, and 
I'm not just trying to wiggle out the question. I, I think it's pretty even. Matthew Stafford tends to throw a lot of interceptions in a situation yeah. he did towards the tail end of the season. The Cowboys really don't have a running game without you know Tony Pollard. Um, you know they, they keep relying on Ezekiel Elliott, who's not getting it done for some reason, and they're beat up with offensive line issues. However, the, both teams, the Rams and the Cowboys' defense, can be impact makers. They have the players to be impact makers. If it wasn't for COVID, I think things would be a lot different, especially for the Cowboys. I, I think they're pretty much even. I wouldn't be surprised to see either of them out. However, I will say this: I did make a little side bet earlier this year that once the Rams got Matthew Stafford, they would be an NFC championship. So I do got a little bit of money waiting for you know Stafford and the Rams to get to the NFC championship. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> do you have the uh, Packers as the clear favorite in the NFC? Then no, I didn't choose that. The only the only sort of uh, what prop bet I chose was the fact that the Rams were going to be in the NFC championship. And I thought wholeheartedly once they got Matthew Stafford, they got the quarterback that put him over the top. I didn't expect all the other injuries and all the other intangibles to come into play, but you know it is what it is. There's Lincoln Kennedy, the Raiders play Raiders radio analyst, working with the play-by-play guy Brent Musburger. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, college hoops, KenPom.com. Ken Pomeroy came up with his own formula, and now they use it to seed March Madness. What do you think of college basketball so far? The Pac-12, the Big 12, the West Coast Conference. We'll talk with Ken next. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We talked with Ken Pomeroy. KenPom.com. And when it comes to uh, basketball and ranking all 350 teams, he's got a formula that's been really good for a long time. Now, we talked to him in yesterday's show, so he didn't know what was going to happen in BYU and Gonzaga specifically, but big picture on where conferences are stacking up here in January. Here's Ken Pomeroy with PK and I. Ken, good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Um, am I in the original or the initial or the normal Joe Ingles spot here? That correct? Uh, this would be early for Joe. He might okay. do an eight thirty appearance. He tends towards right. the eight forty five, eight fifty, or nine oh five. All depends on the okay. schedule, which usually depends when he has to drop his kids off. So there you go. He uh, has yeah. gone as early as eight. Yeah. So Ken, I, I don't want to. Say, to oh, go ahead. I was going to say, in honor of Joe Engel, it would be really cool to get ejected from from something. <laughs> okay. Keep it up, Ken. <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping you can eject me from this uh, interview at some point. Out of here! <laughs> uh, we don't want to bore people with your whole backstory because a lot of people know it, but there are people listening who don't know that you have uh, cooked up a, uh, a formula to assess and rank all 350-whatever, wherever we are now, college basketball teams in Division One, And you got so good at it that the folks who do the NCAA tournament, the actual basketball committee, started using it as one of their data points as they try to seed the tournament. You've done it for a long time. You've come on our show. You've talked about stuff. Nobody gets them all, but you get a lot of stuff right. And I know you got a lot of confidence in your system, but I'm curious how much your system is tested and how much your confidence wobbles this year because teams are playing, they're stopping, they're starting. Uh, teams are playing without some players, so they're not at full strength. How much does that really wreck what you're trying to do? And, and how much do you think there's enough information you'll get to March and have a really good idea what's going on? Well, it, it is annoying. I will say it is an annoying issue that uh, you know games are getting canceled or teams play at partial strength. And 
my system was never never designed for the kind of uh, uh, roster changes that are, are happening kind of on a weekly basis um, this season. But you know, it was, it was way more of a problem last season, and you could definitely notice. I mean, I you know I track the accuracy from day to day of, of all the predictions, and you know last year there was a noticeable uh, degradation in the quality of the predictions. This year we're actually pretty close to to normal for a normal year, so. Uh, I'm encouraged by that, and in general, I think I think it's going to be okay. I mean, we, we're obviously going through a period here where there's you know 10 to 15 percent of the schedule every day is, is being canceled, but it seems like we are rapidly getting to a point where there are fewer like cancellations being announced. Like there's still you know like today you look at the schedule and there's a bunch of games that have been canceled, but they were canceled like you know six seven days ago. Like we're we're not hearing a lot of news you know yesterday or today of, of next week's games being canceled. So. Um, so I think that's encouraging. I, I think we'll be, I think we'll be in great shape by the time we get to, to March. Plus, there are going to be more games played this year than last year, so that that will help as well. Yeah, I'm thinking, Ken. The like the Pac-12 has already announced some makeup games. Uh, the Utes are playing at two o'clock on Sunday down in Tempe, or Monday, I think it is. So, with that in mind, they'll play the games more than likely. So, if the system is a little bit flawed now, wouldn't it stand a reason that it would catch up? Yes, it would, and I think that's another another good point. Last year, when we were dealing with cancellations, they were pretty randomly spread out throughout the year, and you know you got postponements or cancellations in late February, like you obviously weren't making up those games. This year, I think there's hope that, like you said, so a lot of these games are back on the schedule, and I, I think that, you know with you know just it's kind of standard common sense here that if uh, a bunch of teams are getting you know getting knocked out here in early January, like, you know, they're not going to be canceling games in mid-February. So, so I don't know if we're going to end up playing every conference game this year. I think that's probably unrealistic, but you know, you look like, even like, I was just looking at the WCC and like the most, I think Gonzaga's had like three games postponed or canceled that aren't on the schedule. And that's like the most in the league. And you know, you go back to last year, I think like St. Mary's ended up playing like nine games total, you know, in, in conference. So we're not going to have a, a situation like that this year. So that's, that's pretty encouraging. Ken Pomeroy joining us, KenPom.com. So let's just stay with the WCC. BYU got off to a great start. I assume they were an NCAA tournament team, and it was just a question of where they would be seated, and they racked up some impressive wins early on. They've still got a good record, but they're missing two bigs, and they struggle to score. And I'm curious how much wiggle room they have because I think they're NCAA tournaments. If I had to guess right now, I'd guess they miss it. I'm, but that means that I'm assuming they're going to lose some ugly games on the road and that that's going to sink them and all that. How much wiggle room, do, how much of a cushion do they have right now? I'd say quite a bit. I mean, the story in the WCC is that obviously you have Gonzaga. They're, they're going to be there. And then you have... BYU and St. Mary's and now San Francisco that are chasing bids. And I think, you know, BYU getting the win over St. Mary's um, last week will, uh, you know, certainly put them as the front runner of those three teams. Like the WCC is not getting one bid. You know, they're going to get at least two. They might get three. And if things work out exactly perfectly, they, they could get four. Um, so as long as BYU maintains that foothold as, as the second best team, um, they're a lock. If they, even if it's close, they're going to be in great shape because what they did in non-conference was better than you know anybody else did in the WCC except for Gonzaga. So, um, so I think they're in pretty good shape. Uh, I wouldn't, 
I don't know what the, the cushion is, but obviously if they, they lose six or seven games in the league, then they're not in good shape. But here's the thing, too. The WCC is it's just it's really set up pretty well for teams to get bids this year. You know, in past years, you, you would have this group of teams like ranked between, you know, 75 and you know, 150 or something. And those are teams that, you know, the NCAA selection committee just kind of disrespected. If you lost to them, it was frowned upon for sure. But those are the types of teams that you can definitely lose to on the road if you're, uh, you know, not Gonzaga. And those teams really don't exist in the league this year. Like Santa Clara is there, but, you know, the, the rest of the league is really disappointed. The bottom of the league is, is, is worse than it, it usually is. So uh, that makes the, you know, the road to avoiding bad losses a lot easier than it used to be. And so I think that will also play into BYU's hands. Project ahead for us and tell us how good the Big 12 is going to be when they have their new members because they're already really good, but they're adding some pretty good basketball programs, man. Do you see them just being even better? Not even better. Not even better. Can't go there. But the thing is, you know, six, at least six of the last eight years, they've been number one, uh, the number one conference in my system anyway. Um, They're going to do that this year. Uh, easily, like they're like just far and away the best league in the country. So, um, you know, you take out Texas and Oklahoma, and and those haven't been exactly like the flagship basketball programs in the league, but they've been good. Like, you know, average average programs in that league. We're talking a very good league, and you know, you replace them with uh, the teams you're replacing them with, and uh, they will take a bit of a drop. But obviously, like as long as Kevin Sampson's at Houston, which I don't know how much longer that will be, but um, as long as he's there. You know, you'd expect Houston to be amazing, obviously coming off the Final Four and uh, still had a Final Four team this year, lost a couple of, of their rotation players due to injury for the rest of the season, so it'll be more challenging for them. But um, that program's in great shape. Uh, Cincinnati is, uh, you know, a traditional, you know, solid team, uh, kind of a rebuilding year this year. But, uh, you know, have a great young coach in West Miller, so they'll probably be pretty solid. UCF is probably the weakling of this group, but um, again, they've you know really kind of raised the level of their program, and uh, you know they're having a solid year for them. And obviously, BYU is, seems to be on the right trajectory. And you'd think some of that's tied to, uh, to Mark Pope being there. But if you go to the Big Twelve, like you know Mark Pope's probably going to be there. So, so there's still a chance. It's like you know long term the best conference in the country. Uh, it's just. It, it will take a little bit of a step back. We've got to be honest about that. Has the Pac-12 taken a step forward, even if it's three teams that are doing it and nine teams are watching and taking credit for it and taking a bow? <laughs> right, yeah. So, you know, when we talk about leagues, like we just – a lot of times the league membership is a lot more interesting than just, you know, talking about a, a league average. And uh, the Pac-12 is – you know, one of the best examples of that than I've ever seen. Um, you know, I think the general perception in college basketball world is that the Pac-12 is bad this year. You know, there was some some expectation coming off the tournament last year that, hey, wow, they're going to turn a corner and, and the Pac-12 is going to be, you know, back to where it was, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Um, in general, that has not been the case. The bottom of the league is, is really bad. I have five teams ranked outside the top 100, which is uh, – not acceptable for a power conference. And, uh, you know, there's really only three teams that are going to be, like, at-large worthy, it appears. However, those three teams are awesome. You know, like, Arizona has, 
I think really been one of the surprises of the season. Like they did not get many votes in the preseason AP poll. And it's easy to like look back on that now and be like, oh, well, we should have known. We should have known they'd be good. You know, a lot of guys coming back, brought in some key transfers, new coach, and it's just all come together in an incredible way for them. Like they're a legitimate, you know, Final Four type team, UCLA. You know, they haven't necessarily set the world on fire to start the season, but, you know, they've been solid and obviously coming off Final Four appearance with basically everybody back. You know, they're a, they're a Final Four contender. And then you have USC, which just, just suffered their first loss over the weekend. But um, they, uh, they too, are going to be a very nice seed, you know. But, um, you know, Andy Enfield has got things rolling there. So potentially, you know, a, a one, two, and three seed in the NCAA tournament or a one, two, and two or a one, two, and four, something like that. But you're going to have three teams that are – all capable and will be seated in a position to make a deep run, despite the fact that, as you point out, the other nine teams are just innocent bystanders in, uh, in this whole situation. We have an NCAA selection committee who makes the seeds and sets up the tournament. Any of these people ever get in touch with you and ask for your advice, your insight? They never do. They never do. And frankly, I'm insulted by that. I mean, the, the most contact, <laughs> the most contact I've had with them, you know, it was about five years ago. You know, they invited a bunch of a uh, bunch of us guys out there. I don't know what you want to call us. I'm trying to avoid any sort of derogatory term, but um, you know, they invited us guys out there to to advise them on which way the the committee should should go as they were, uh, you know, planning to dump the RPI and move to something uh, more advanced to help them select their teams and. Uh, and that was great. And I thought, I thought, wow, this is like, you know, pretty progressive for the NCAA. Give them a lot of credit. And, uh, you know, I had a couple conversations with them after that. But really what, you know, what they ended up doing was just kind of going their own way at that point. Even though, you, as you mentioned, they have, you know, these six other metrics that they, they have at their disposal. They, you know, they created the net rating, which is, uh, you know, kind of a, a, bad, a bad copy of my own rating, if I'm being honest. I mean, the, the ratings are, are pretty similar. The ingredients are slightly different and not exactly clear how it works, but but they created that rating and, and that's kind of, you know, what they what they rely on now instead of the RPI to make their selections. And so yeah, I haven't really had any like significant contact with anybody in the NCAA office for, you know, at least a couple of years I'd say. Before we let you go, last thing, how many teams from the state of Utah are gonna be in the NCAA tournament? If you had to guess right now. Well, you know, it's a little bit of a depressing topic because I think three or four weeks into the season, like it was looking pretty exciting for, uh, you know, certainly at least Utah State, who's kind of fallen off a bit. Um, the youth, you know, you never really expected them to make the tournament, but there was like some hope, hey, maybe they could, you know, as bad as the Pac-12 is, maybe they could finish like fifth in this league and, you know, have a, have a chance to grasp at some straws, you know, at the uh, Pac-12 tournament or something like that. But those two teams look like they're they're not a factor. So I think we got BYU, and I think we got somebody from the Big Sky, whether it's uh, Weaver State or Southern Utah. Like they're like the two best teams in that league, pretty clearly. And uh, after that, I guess you can grasp it. Uh, you know, Utah Valley maybe winning the the WAC tournament. But um, I'd go with two. I'd go with BYU and, and whoever comes out of the Big Sky. Ken, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. Warming everybody up for Joe Ingles. Thanks, guys. Thanks. I, I really disagree with that call you made, though, about uh, two hours ago. And I would like to punch you in the face. 
Can you throw me? Can you throw me out of here? Eddie's out of here. You're gone. No, if you if I have to sit here and watch this game, then you have to sit here and watch this game. I think that was Frank Layden got that one night when he was trying to get thrown out. It was a bad game, and the ref knew what he was doing. He's like, no, you got to sit here and watch this game. And I got it too. All right, thanks, Ken. We appreciate it. All right, thanks, guys. There's Ken Pomeroy, KenPom.com. When we come back, the Joe Ingles Show. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 in the zone. Time for the Joe Ingles Show. He joined us at 9 a.m. yesterday. You'll hear a few references to last night, referencing the loss to the Cavaliers and him getting kicked out. Here is Joe on 97.5 at 1280 in the zone. This is the Zone Sports Network. Back to Joe and he'll flush. And it's time to hear from the best looking, most charismatic, and certainly the most intelligent member of the Utah Jazz. Jingle bells. Joe Ingles. Gives it back to Joe to the cop, slams it in. And yes, for the record, Joe wrote this introduction. This is the Joe Ingles Show. <laughs> With DJ and PK. Who? On 975-1280 the Zone. And the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it is time to welcome in Joe Ingles. Joe, welcome back to your show. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So many topics to hit with you. Uh, no, I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> so the team was skating through COVID while the rest of the league was having major issues. And then all of a sudden the Jazz have major issues. It starts with you. Just take us through it. Uh, how'd you find out? How'd you feel? How quick did you feel like you're bouncing back from it? Yeah, it was obviously... Um, I said in media yesterday, I almost feel like every team at some point was probably going to go through it. And we'd done obviously a pretty good job to, um, I mean, we had a few here and there within the organization and, and close contacts or whatever they list them as. But, um, obviously the team had done well of, of keeping as, as I don't even know what you're safe or healthy as possible. Um, so I had obviously a, a family member, like I said, um, that I was a close contact to and then um, decided to get the family tested just to be kind of on the safe side um, and they were positive and then we were in Denver um, and the rules this year anyway, obviously leading into Canada, you have to get tested before going there to play. So this is obviously 48 hours before we all kind of had to get tested anyway and I was like, with obviously with my family being positive, I am obviously pretty close to them and have been around them a lot. Um, so I was like, let me just go get tested 48 hours kind of before we had a almost like a mandatory test anyway to to go to Toronto um, and obviously came back back positive and um, kind of looking back, I, I guess I'm kind of glad I decided to, to go and test. I, I didn't have any symptoms. That's why I was, I guess, 50-50 on whether I even tested or not because I was felt completely fine. I've, I've felt completely fine through the whole process of, of this last kind of 10, 11 days, whatever it's been. Um, 
tested, I would have been positive and been around the guys for an extra 48 hours. So I guess who knows what that would look like with how, I guess, easy this, this new variant's been transmitted and passed around. So um, found out in Denver, stayed a couple of days in Denver to get my tests and obviously kind of go through this whole variety of tests before you, I guess, officially... I don't even know, diagnosed positive or whatever, be told I'm positive. Um, stayed there for a few days, then obviously made a decision um, with... So Renee's parents have been here for a little while. They were positive. Renee and the, kid, and the twins were positive. Um, made the decision to, to just go home and, and obviously quarantine together. There was no... Obviously speaking to the way more professional people than me. There was no extra risk to go home or to be passed it on more or less or whatever. Obviously, the, tw- the kids were the biggest worry, um, which they were good. The, the twins had no symptoms. Obviously, Jack, we couldn't isolate Jack by himself, so he, he was with us regardless and just kept a close eye on him. Um, we were thinking of putting him in a hotel by himself to, to not get it, but um, we actually never got him tested um, but he had a fever a couple of the nights. But, yeah, just a, a bit of a weird time, I guess, to go through it um, in, in terms of, like, I, like I said, I felt totally fine, but I, I, from you get on social media and everyone's tweeting about how you're this positive guy and <laughs> to stay away from everyone and you feel completely fine. Like, it, uh, it, was a, it was a bizarre kind of 10, 12 days, whatever it was, um, pretty quickly because of um, no symptoms and um, and all that so yeah it's been it's been bizarre last I think it'll be three or four days now whatever it's been since I've been cleared so then everybody in the in-laws they're all doing well everybody's okay yeah Renee was probably the the worst a couple of days in um, but in saying that obviously like really like flu-like symptoms, congested, sore throat, headache. Um, uh, like, honestly, like you would feel not downplaying how she felt because she did feel pretty crappy for a few days. Um, and she's kind of at the end of it now. But, yeah, just like that flu-like headache, runny nose, bit of a like congested and sore throat. Um, obviously, Renee's parents being a bit older as well, just making sure they were, uh, they had a few kind of minor symptoms. But I guess overall what people have gone through and, and seeing the numbers in hospital and, and all those type of things, we, we got out um, reasonably freely. Um, like I said, Jack had a fever for a, for a couple of days there. and um, Obviously just keeping an eye. Like I said, I think for, for myself and Renee, knowing we would probably be okay through it, but just making sure her parents and... Uh, and obviously the, the, the kids are, are obviously a worry uh, with Jacob and his stuff. So, um, yeah, glad we got out pretty freely from it. Um, but, yeah, it was, a, it, it was a bizarre kind of, I think, Renee's, they found out, so they're up to like day 15 or 14 or 15 now. So, um, obviously we've been, we've been cleared and all that now, but it's, yeah, it's been a bizarre couple of weeks. So you got a couple technicals, and I was wondering if you the feedback you got from your wife was, uh, you know, what are you doing? Or she could see how chippy that game was, and she just let it go. Or, you know, what, do you second-guess yourself? What do you think? 
Oh, man, it's just like a, <laughs> a, I think there's a, a few things that are built up with it. And obviously, I was super pumped to be out there again. Um, probably didn't look like it getting thrown out, but I was excited to be back out there. Um, obviously, we were down numbers, um, which was a stupid decision by me, obviously, because we're already down a couple of players and um, we needed as many bodies as possible. Um, but yeah, just a frustration level, obviously, there's, there's part of that in how, how I have been playing and, and was playing that whatever it was last night. Um, obviously, I know I can can play a lot better and, and that frustration of things just not really kind of clicking and, and um, not that I've ever second-guessed myself basketball-wise, but just um, wanting it, wanting it to, to kind of get back and get that, that flow back of obviously how I know I can play and probably taking it out on the referees isn't the, the smartest thing to do because that limits my time of being out there to, to keep figuring it out. But... Um, yeah, it was just obviously a, what I thought was a very easy call, the second one, and um, not downplaying the referee's job at all here, but, yeah, just, just thought they had missed a couple. and um, it was I think it was Boyan or whatever, so just trying to stick up for, for a teammate. And yeah, just obviously brought over. I'm, I, I, can, I can promise you from this, I, I will never get thrown out again. I can promise you that. Um, Ooh. It won't. Yeah, it won't, no, it won't happen. I don't know what what punishment you can give me, but it's not going to happen again, so it's not going to matter. <laughs> but as of uh, today, I'm, I'm letting it go. I'm going to get back to kind of enjoying myself out there and, and letting this letting the frustration go of, of how I've been playing, getting back to the basics of it and just being myself out there and enjoying it. And I think obviously you guys know and, and probably a lot of fans that have watched for eight years when I'm, when I'm smiling out there and having fun and, and obviously enjoying what I'm doing, it's it's when I, I play my best. So I just need to get back to that. And, um, I can I can promise you I won't be getting thrown out ever again. Well, we'll take your promise and we'll believe it because usually your word, in fact, I think your word always is good. One of the stuff you've told us anyway, you've always lived up to it. So I believe you will never get thrown out again. And uh, oh, that'll, be the end. That'll, that'll be the end of it. I'm wondering... With all the COVID going on and Gobert still out, and then yesterday, you know, Whiteside and all this, you got three yeah. days be- with no games. What's the team planning to do? Because can you get together? Um, we can. There's obviously, um, I think every team, well, most teams have gone through a pretty rough patch at some point, and there's a few different protocols that you have to abide by um, during these times. Um, so, a bit extra testing, um, obviously with with the days we've we've got today off, which is um, which is nice, obviously for for the guys. I'm actually heading in now. Um, I've had enough days off, so um, I I use my uh, my get out of jail free cards in the Denver hotel last week. So um, yeah, I'll go in there. Um, I'll wait. I don't think I'll see anybody else in there, which is is obviously good. They had a Obviously, a long trip, um, and even just not the trip itself, but like you said, with, with all the, the COVID stuff going on, it's um, probably been a frustrating couple of weeks for, for everybody. So um, different rules and testing and testing times, and um, you almost go back to what we were um, kind of at the start of this a couple of years ago when we 
we're learning a lot more about it. So uh, the guys will get to, to get away today and, and enjoy a, a day away from, from everything. And then obviously, um, I think we've got a couple of days still after that. So probably a, a good time for us to be able to get into practice a couple of days and, and kind of get back to, to the, the way that obviously we know we can play. And um, again, obviously with COVID and, and guys being out and, um, I mean, I haven't missed that many games in my eight years. Rudy's missed four or five in the last four or five years. Um, so it's been it's been. Yeah, we've, I don't. I mean, I don't think we've ever not played with a centre before. Um, me being me and Eric or whoever being the two tallest guys out there. So, um, like I said, it's not. There's no excuses. Um, obviously, we know we on that trip it was going to be a bit tougher. Obviously, last night it was going to be a bit tougher. Um, again, it doesn't excuse us. We, we still have to go out there, try and play as as well as we can. But obviously, I mean, last night's a good example. We're obviously playing a fairly different style um, with five guards out there, uh, which I don't think we've really ever done um, since I've been. I, I think I got subbed in as a five, like one or two possessions, like three or four years ago. Um, but obviously, we've we've always kind. Of Uh, like I said, every every team's gone through it. It's, it's trust the COVID stuff, and then obviously slowly we'll we'll start to get players back, and um, and hopefully we can get back to our, ourselves. While you're out, do you watch NBA basketball and follow some of the storylines? Do you get away from it? Obviously, Memphis has won 20 out of 24, and John Morant is blocking shots with two hands at the top of the uh, the box. (laughs) But I don't know how much you tune all that out. Or or if you notice it more, because you got more time on your hands. Yeah, I mean, in in Denver, um, I was stuck in a hotel room for three nights or whatever it was. uh, Not not a lot you can do in there. Obviously, that's a part of the process of, of getting back to. Like, I'm, you can't go from sitting in a hotel room to, to playing an NBA game. Players and teams are, are, are too good for that. So, um, I did that. And then, obviously, I was glad to get home because I've got a gym at home and I can, can work out. Obviously, hadn't touched a, a basketball for a few days there, um, which is kind of like, the, I guess, the frustrating part during this whole thing. But you just kind of... In in Denver, I was kind of stuck. Uh, I did watch a few a few more games that I'd probably ever watched before, or, or teams that I would not normally watch, just because I was I was in there anyway. And um, obviously, getting home was was very different. I wasn't watching NBA games, but obviously, with the, the kids full of COVID as well, um, they weren't at school or, or anything like that. So we were we were home twenty four seven together. Um, obviously. COVID not being the ideal situation to do that, but it was nice to almost like reconnect with my family and my kids a little bit and, and Renee and just be able to spend time with them. And um, I mean, I could probably count on one hand how many days I've I've had where I haven't had to abide by the jazz schedule um, and, and have to run off during Miller's soccer game or drop them at school and run into practice and, and figure all that stuff out. So, um, that part of it was nice to, to kind of reconnect with my, my family and, and spend some time with them and be able to do Miller's schoolwork, the school center, her schoolwork home. So be able to sit there with, 
with her or sit there with Jacob and watch a movie, just, just little things that I don't normally get to do. Um, a bit of basketball at the start, but then um, not much towards the end. Obviously, only the, the jazz games that, that I was able to watch or that I wanted to watch. <laughs> How long does it take to get out of NBA basketball shape? Well, I mean, I was obviously never out of shape, but it's just that, like I said, you go from... I was lucky that I could get out of the hotel and, and get back to, to Utah. And like I said, I, I had a gym and, and be able to do some stuff and get outside in the backyard and whatever, get some fresh air. But I mean, if you're, if I was in the hotel for three nights, four days. Like if, if, if you are stuck in the hotel for, for whatever reason, um, for the entire quarantine period, it's, I don't think you necessarily like lose your fitness that quickly, but, I mean, there's there's no way any team. I think they they announce it as like reconditioning or whatever they put on the on the injury report. But it's obviously no one's sitting there like on a bike and treadmill, like trying to get in shape. It's just a no team's going to let a player go from sitting in a hotel or house for five or six, seven, however many days you're in the protocol to to guarding Jamarant or, or guarding Garland or whoever you're, you're playing. It's a um, that's a tough job to do when you <laughs> when you've been at practice the whole time. Never mind sitting in a, in a hotel room. So there's obviously the protocol, COVID wise, to, to be cleared and, and be deemed healthy or, or whatever to, to play. And then obviously the team has a protocol um, just to make sure you you are you're good. And obviously for me as well, leading into the COVID stuff, I'd missed a couple games or the, the game and. Um, was probably 50-50 for the New Orleans game um, with, with my back as well. So sitting in a hotel room isn't, isn't ideal with a, a bad back, but we, like I said, you, you go through the process, you trust the people that are, um, are paid the money to, to make those decisions and, and give you the guidance on that. And um, Yeah, it's, I mean, the NBA, the NBA is tough regardless when you're fit and healthy, never mind, like I said, coming off a, a five, six, seven-day break. Yes, Ben has a piece on trash talking in the NBA and how it's evolving. And it starts with you and Jimmy Butler, and you have a great line, which is why it starts the piece. Butler was staring at me like he was bloody about to beat the bleep out of me, Ingles recalled. And then he found you before a game and basically said, uh, I want my money, you want your money, let's let it go. That's how it yeah, works, it was, huh? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, it was bizarre because obviously early on in my career I didn't know anybody or or anything like that um i obviously was a kind of a i guess a fresh face in the nba and whatever and um yeah just wasn't i don't even know what happened i I remember getting i tried to like blow up a screen or something and like got knocked over and he was staring like standing over me staring and i was like I don't know what I'm about to do. And all I remember was um, uh, Trevor Booker jumped in front, like jumped in front and um, like grabbed him off me or whatever and like helped me up. And then I was like, man, Book's, Book was my absolute hero. And then, yeah, like <laughs> completely randomly, this is, this is my, like we'd been, we'd been, we'd been teed up um, a few times post that. And then, um, 
yeah, like completely. Like I said, I I never knew the guy. Um, but then completely randomly, I was stretching to the half court like I do every pregame, and and he came up to me out of nowhere and was like, "Yo, let's just like let's just let this go." <laughs> um, when he was walking up to me, I was a bit intimidated because I was like, "Holy, whatever." Um, this guy's probably gonna, who knows what he's gonna do or say to me right now because we have got into it so many times. And then, yeah, ever since then we've, um, I wouldn't say we're like best friends, but we've we've got along really well. And um, he actually helped me this summer with some property stuff where I was looking to to get some property where where he knows the area and um, actually helped me a, a fair bit. So um, yeah, very different. Uh, <laughs> turn of events to when I first met him. Do you think that the good can come from all this stuff, all this junk, this losing streak and the COVID and all that can benefit you guys in the long run? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think a part of it, if if you don't have symptoms, obviously there's, there's people that haven't been feeling well, um, player or coach or, or whoever that is or, or, or the general public there's a lot of people obviously struggling with it but uh, I think for me it was like I said I had no symptoms the whole time um, I almost not that I wanted to get symptoms but it was like I, I was waiting for something to happen just because of the stories you hear and stuff like that and um, obviously for me having a, a pretty big couple of years I was it was the time to to use it as, as some rest as well, like to, to get in there and um, use it the right way. Obviously, I wasn't just going to sit around. I, I'd try to move as much as I could in my in my hotel room and then obviously in, in, at my, my house. But, um, yeah, use it to, to switch off a little bit. Um, obviously, had the season last year and two days later went straight to the Olympics and then came back and a couple of weeks later after that, I'm, I'm obviously in, in pre-season and, and the process of this. So, uh, I think, I mean, I'm not, <laughs> that's not a, like everyone go get COVID and use it to, to have a break. But I think if, if you end up in that situation, um, I mean, Rudy's the same as me, had a big summer. He's, I mean, he's missed a handful of games in his career. It's, it's probably obviously not nice that we haven't had him out there because it's a, a pretty big difference, obviously, not having him. But, um, if you use it the right way, um, and I guess is what I'm trying to say, get some rest, get the work in that you need to get. Get Obviously, we need to just keep playing the guys that are here, keep fighting through this, and, and whoever's available is available at the point. At, at this point, that's the that's the hard part. Obviously, have guys in and out. Hassan's out late with a, a test result or whatever. Like They're, they're uncontrollable. We, like There's nothing we can do if someone tests positive or... It's the same as injuries. We've been through it with the Jazz early on in my career with, with injuries and guys missing time. So, um, yeah, you just try and use it to the, the best of your ability. Obviously, some younger guys get opportunity. It was awesome in Toronto, I think it was, when the young guys get to play. And obviously, I'm, like, there's guys that I've never played with out there playing and, and Eli's doing unbelievable. Like, they're, they're the... The opportunities guys are going to get. Um, obviously, you've, we've got to weather the storm a little bit with, with what's going on, and um, hopefully, at the other side, we'll, we'll come out. We'll be we'll be healthy, and um, like you said, we you you want to get back to or getting back to kind of who we are and, and how we play. But um, obviously, with 
with the big fellas out, both of them, um, even Rudy Gay, it obviously is a very different way for us to play because we've, like I said, we've never not played with a centre um, since I've been here anyway. So, um, yeah, hopefully the hopefully the storm is uh, is passing over and we'll start to get players back over over this next next period and, and, and we'll get back to playing obviously how we how we know we can play and how we've played uh, obviously a lot of this year. Joe, we'll let you go and I've got it. I don't think you'll get kicked out because you told us you won't. But if you do, the penalty should be the penalty should be you have to do the show every day for a week. It would reward jazz fans. Alright, that's it. We can, that's a deal. I'll, uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's not going to happen, but, and you guys would hate me on there for seven days in a row, but, <laughs> um, no, if, if I do, I'll, I'll come. It's probably not a good idea because some fans will probably want me to come in every morning because <laughs> you guys stink and they want to hear from me. Um, but no, that's, we can make that deal. I'll, uh, I'll come on every day for five or seven days, or whatever, in the week consists of, and we'll, uh, We'll get through it. There's the deal. Joe Ingles. He joins us every week right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Joe, thanks a lot, and we will talk to you next week. Cool. Appreciate it, guys. All right, there is the Joe Ingles Show. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines next. Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag Utah Jazz. The first thing is that the most important thing is that he's playing well. I mean, he's played well both when he's been quote unquote at the four or you know tonight more at the five. Um, he's had a big couple weeks. He had a baby boy, and you know, he's come back and he's been ready. Quinn Snyder on Eric Paschal's play since returning to the team. Jazz going at it again on Sunday against the Denver Nuggets. Tip time set for six o'clock. No clear idea at this point who's actually going to be playing for the Jazz because, well, the more Eric Pascal plays, the more the Jazz are shorthanded, PK, so it's usually a bad sign. How close do you think he is to playing his way into the rotation? Oh, uh, I don't know that he can. I don't know who who can he supplant can he, uh, this year anyway. You know, he's still a young kid, obviously, but is there anybody whose place he could take? Yeah, the easiest, the easiest answer is that they make a trade and it opens a spot. Oh, okay. And that he's right, proven right. he's ready. Because you're right, who would he knock out of the rotation? He's not going to provide Joe's ball handling. He's not going to provide Clarkson's instant offense. Uh, he doesn't come in with the same size as Hassan Whiteside. Uh, I guess Rudy Gay would be the most like-for-like. But even that, that doesn't seem likely either. So it gets hard to see where the minutes come from. Well, if I'm him, I just keep my head down and keep plugging because you're playing for a place in this league. Right. Right. I mean, that's ultimately your first desire is to make sure you're in the league. And in the limited time that he's been in there, it looks like it was a nice acquisition. So keep plugging away. And even if it's not here, it's got to be someplace. And maybe it could be here down the road, as you say, depending on what happens, uh, certainly uh, next month or then in the offseason. 
and what what can, what can you do there? Keep working on your game, son, <laughs> because you have a future in this league. I was thinking about this though. Is when's the last time the Jazz did not play on a Friday or Saturday? Man, that seems like a long time ago. Yeah, they very rarely they very rarely miss both of those. You're right. This is this is highly unusual. And I think that's not just true of the Jazz. I think that's true of most teams because Friday and Saturday nights are traditionally great nights for the gate. That's right. Exactly. People are looking to, to get out. So if you're not playing a home game, you're the road team because somebody else is playing a home game. Because I know that you you and Honey, almost on a weekly basis, you trip to life fantastic on a Friday or Saturday. Old school right there, people. <laughs> that's old school. <laughs> trip to life fantastic. <laughs> You probably, this is a show out there you probably haven't watched, PK. Succession. Have you seen that HBO show? Oh, I'm, I'm aware of it, yeah. Yeah. And so there is an, uh, one of the kids is uh, super awkward, but he tries to really, you know, get in there and hang with the cool kids in Manhattan. And he dropped in a series of awkward phrases, he dropped Trip the Light Fantastic. And the other actors, uh, you gotta. Sometimes if they, you know, if they're really good, you get, you can get sucked in, and you think, yeah, these are real people. No, they're not. They're all actors playing a role. I gotta say that the look on everybody else's face when he dropped "Trip the Light," fantastic, was perfect. It was awesome. <laughs> it's funny you dropped that. Uh, my wife and I are getting to succession late, but now we're pretty much caught up. I think we got like four episodes, and we'll be all caught up. But uh, hilarious that you dropped that. Good work. All right, the uh, Salt Lake City Stars acquire the rights to Yoli Childs, a former BYU Cougar, in a trade with the Capital City Go-Go. I got to say, my knowledge of the G League is underwhelming. It's a good name, though, isn't it? Uh, Sure. But it's the kind of name you have to have in a league that is trying to make it, that nobody to draw attention to yourself. The Capital City Go-Go could be a lacrosse team. I actually, now that you think about it, I think it would be cool to be called the Scars. <laughs> the Salt Lake City Scars. We're going to wound you. <laughs> there you go. That's, there's their catchphrase. Hey, the Washington football team, it's not too late. Cleveland committed to the Guardians, but the Washington Scars. Okay, okay. And the burgundy, don't change the colors. The burgundy yeah, still no works. works. It's blood. Yeah, yeah sure. We're going to wound you. I mean, that's your catchphrase right there, man. Can you imagine having, like, a wound on your helmet? And you can change the type of wound, you know, weekly, just the same way teams change uniforms. You'll have an open sore when you're done with us. <laughs> one week, one week, it's a paper cut. <laughs> one week, it's a festering blister that's popped. <laughs> One week it's a skin knee from some kid in a bike accident. <laughs> just keep changing the helmet. <laughs> One week it's just a big old bruise. <laughs> uh. <laughs> All right, I don't know how we got there. So Yoli Childs is back. What does that mean other than maybe it'll move a few more tickets for the Stars? Well, it's not even confirmed he's going to play for the team yet. Oh, he could just be moving through town? Well, it's they acquired his rights. He signed with a team in Germany, as you'll see on the document right okay. there. And he's played yeah, for them. Yeah, he's yeah. been injured uh, with an injured knee, so we'll see. All right. Stars are playing the South Bay Lakers tonight at 7 o'clock. You can listen to the game on the zone. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. Middleton lobs up top for Giannis, who sends it down on the two-hand slam off the alley-oop. And now we poke it back. Ingram steals it. Now we're going to have a little showtime. B.I. 
Flush it in, baby. And that should do it. Scooped up by Wiggins. Shoveling to Jerome. Ty gets it across time on left side to Shea. To the wing, he cranks a three that's online, and nothing but net to Ching. It's the 18th Thunder Muddy Ball tonight. Shea's over 30 for a second straight game, and the eighth time this season with 31. Morant to his right around a screen from Clark on the perimeter. Finds Clark at the foul line. Into the lane. Out to Conchar. Left wing three. Ginny it up. Bring it up. Three on the board. John Conchar drills the triple. 15 points. 17 rebounds. Highlights from the NBA, the defending champs, the Milwaukee Bucks, blow out the Golden State Warriors 118-99. That's a 19-point loss. It sounds bad, but it was far worse than that. Milwaukee led by 39 at the half, too short of the biggest halftime lead in franchise history. Now, the Warriors were shorthanded because they didn't have Draymond Green. Milwaukee was shorthanded because they didn't have Giroux Holiday. So, PK, it's like you've been saying, you always have to take this stuff with a, uh, a grain of salt. Everybody's running around shorthanded. It kind of sort of cancels each other out, but there's no real explanation for the Warriors being down by 39 other than the Bucks did everything right and made shots, and the Warriors did everything wrong and missed shots. Yeah, Antetokounmpo was absolutely awesome. I mean, he's a phenomenal player, obviously, and he, he was at the top of his game. I mean, if it was a closer game, he could have scored way more than 30. But, I mean, it was a blowout right from the start, yep. man. 30 points almost yeah. um, 10 minutes into the game, it seemed like. And I, I was looking forward to watching that game, and I got disappointed because I don't want to watch a, a route like that, obviously. It doesn't uh, hold much for me in terms of competition. So I was flicking around a bunch. But, yeah, Milwaukee looked really, really good. Denver blowing out Portland 140 to 108. The Jazz are going to see the Nuggets Sunday. Nuggets have now won six of their last nine. One of the three losses is to the Jazz. They had no problem with Portland. Of course, Portland now, uh, you've been saying for years, you always check two guys in the box score uh, because they drive the Blazers. But McCollum and Lillard are both out, so there's no need to check the box score. You know you're missing them every night, and apparently that had an impact on the Blazers because they got beat by 32. I think it will continue to have an impact on the Blazers the rest of the season. <laughs> and that's not necessarily a bad thing. As we've talked about, it improves their lottery odds. Maybe they can fall into a good young player here. Two words, Chet Holmgren. <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Uh, more blowouts. The Nets, after that massive performance and win over the Bulls, turn around and get beat by the Thunder, 130-109, to showing both sides of the Nets' personality. As they beat the Bulls, they proved that they got offensive firepower, and when they get going, they just can't be stopped. But it also proves the Nets don't play a lick of defense because the Thunder just hung 130 on them. Well, nor did they play most of their players right. uh, all the time. <laughs> I mean, Durant was out, and obviously Irving uh, Harden played. So It was a home game, though, so no Irving because they're not playing, paying the fine you were talking about, at least not at this point. See if they do that later, or if they think that's too big a PR problem, or how they're going to play that. But right now, they didn't play him at home. And with no Durant, it was Harden carrying the load, 26 and 9 and 7, almost had the triple double, but defensively, they just got torched. Another blowout. Ingram went for 24. The Pelicans beat the Clippers by 24, 113 to 89. Memphis, no stopping the Grizzlies, PK. 11 in a row. 21 out of 25. They beat Minnesota 116 to 108. A force to be reckoned with. And they have done it with guys out. Dylan Brooks out right now at the start of this streak. Uh, they got on a huge roll without John Morant. So 
They have missed guys. It hasn't just been a case of the Grizzlies in perfect health taking on a bunch of shorthanded teams. They've, they've taken a couple of pretty big hits to their rotation. And in NBA trade news, the Atlanta Hawks sent Cam Reddish to the Knicks in a deal that broke late in our show yesterday. That sent 2018 first-round pick Kevin Knox to Atlanta. The Denver Nuggets saw their deal to send Bull Bull to the Pistons. Voided Detroit's doctor's failed bowl on his physical. So, Bull Bull Dang. back to the Nuggets. Nuggets. Rats. <laughs> Dang and rats. All right, now here comes the Chet Holmgren news that PK can't wait for. Hashtag college basketball. Timmy rebounds for the Bulldogs. Fires pass to the left side. Strother catches and shoots on the break. Another three is good for the sophomore. 14 in the first eight and a half minutes for Julian. And the Bulldogs lead by four. Gives it up to Barcelo. Gets a screen from Loner. Passes deflected into the hands of Hickman. Now to Nemar. Throws it home with one hand. Zags having themselves a night. Nemhard with 20. Rebound Nemhard. Zags on the run. Andrews into the front court. Bounces it to Timmy. Flips it up. Flips it in. And he's fouled. Timmy with another three-point opportunity. And a chance to get to 30 points for the second time this season. Number two, Gonzaga. 110-84 winners over BYU. 61 points in the first half. They literally couldn't be stopped, PK. They shoot an NCAA best 69.4% from the field. No one in college basketball has shot the ball better. Ironically, it was better than they shot it from the free throw line. 65% there. But they scored on just trip after trip. They got open shots. They made them. They were great from three. And they were really good shots, but they still shot 52%. Yeah, a couple of their uh, lesser guys that, uh, you know, Timmy and Holdrum obviously got way hot and couldn't miss early. And it was just, it was a big time blitz, like a tsunami, man. You see it coming and there's nothing you can do about it. So you got to get out. You got to run for the hills, basically. (laughs) And and that's the way it was. And Timmy, Timmy's a proven commodity so he's doing what he was expected to do Holmgren you know is new as a freshman number one recruit so freaking skinny but so talented skilled he reminded me of a, of a cross between uh, as a freshman in college Kevin Durant and uh, Antetokounmpo with all that uh, height and all skin and bones there so skilled can do basically do it all yeah he was 5 of 7. Holmgren was 5 of 7 shooting, and Timmy was 13 of 14. And BYU's lack of size, certainly a factor in all of that. And Gonzaga, as far as many attempt BYU had at an upset, just having none of it. Having none of it. And somebody's going to get called in. Because Loner on the radio afterwards said, we got our ass kicked, and you can't say that at BYU. Yeah, you see. <laughs> Listen to the post game show. Whoa, okay. <laughs> Tweeted that one out. Because I know somebody said it at football, and he got called in. Now, this was 15 years ago, so maybe it's uh, different now. And I don't think it's any big deal. I don't care. But uh, when I heard that, I thought, oh, they might have a little talk here. <laughs> they don't like that stuff. BYU now a big game. USF. 15-2. 2-0. Chance to get a road win. It'd be a quality road win in conference. 
It was good getting that St. Mary's win at home. You're expected to get the wins at home by the NCAA Selection Committee. You're supposed to win at home if you're an NCAA tournament team. This would be a really good road win. The Gonzaga road win, just not very realistic. But I don't think you get penalized that much by the committee for losing to Gonzaga. But a USF win, that'd be a boost. Uh, It certainly would. USF's got a real nice team this year. They're legit. uh, No doubt about it. So they need need to find a way to get that. That's a late game tomorrow night, isn't it? Yeah, and nine o'clock, they, CBS Sports Network. Yeah, so they, they they need to make sure they get past this thing real quick, get themselves down to the Bay Area, get prepared for this, because they, they they win this thing, and unless they fall apart, I think they are an NCAA tournament team. It would be huge for their NCAA tournament hopes to get this. That would be a very big deal. Weber State. Beats Idaho, 84-74, thanks to 18 points from Jamison Overton. So Weber State improves to 4-1 in the big sky. Tomorrow, Utah, Arizona, 6 o'clock on the Pac-12 Networks. Utah State hosting Wyoming at 7 o'clock. They're going to honor the 2001 Big West champs. You can hear that game. Scotty G will be on the call, 6.30 on the zone with Scotty G for the pregame show, and then the game tips at 7. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. I mean, he's a he's a an all time all time great quarterback that's going to be in the Hall of Fame one day. Um, but he's still playing great football right now. If you look at the big throws that he's made to keep their season alive, we know it's going to be a great challenge for us. Not not just him, but that entire team. Um, they they have an attitude about them. They have a mindset that they play with. So we're not taking them lightly at all. Um, I mean, they're they're a team that uh, that has beat a lot of really good football teams. Um, and so uh, uh, to get to play against Big Ben, it's an honor for me. I mean, he's a great football player. Patrick Mahomes on facing Ben Roethlisberger, saying all the right things. Kansas City, a huge favorite. They just blew out Pittsburgh in the regular season. Now they get him again in the playoffs. We could go through all the playoff games, PK, but are there any you think where there's going to be an upset, even if it's a mild upset? Or you go favorites, home teams, chalk? Ooh, I don't even know that I know the lines on these games. Oh. Uh, so We can provide that information easily. The Raiders, oh, yeah. are Raiders going to Cincinnati, and the Bengals are a five-and-a-half point favorite at home. You're going to see as we go through these, it's very similar. They're three to six point favorites for the home teams. The Patriots go to the Bills Saturday night. Third meeting, Buffalo at home favored by four. Yeah, I'm real intrigued by that game. You know, they're saying it's going to be two degrees because yeah. <laughs> it's a night game in Buffalo. Uh, wind wind yeah. Well, wind chill will be off the charts. Minus yeah, 15. I'm, I'm talking about just the actual wind. Uh, is it going to be blowing snow? They, they're saying not, but man, that is so cold to be playing. I, I just want to watch a game in that type of weather and look at those fans, and I want to see the, bear, the bare-chested guys. That ain't cold. Come on. This is, this is balmy. This is Buffalo. This is what we do. So that game holds a lot of intrigue for me. Monday night's game holds intrigue. Uh, I think the Rams, several, the Rams yeah. are a four-point favorite over the Cardinals. And I think all these teams that are less than five-point dogs, I think they all got a shot to win. The one that I would really doubt is the Patriots, but the weather is the equalizer. That's what I'm saying. The quarter, you know, the quarter, starting a rookie quarterback is not the way to go in the NFL playoffs. There's a ton of NFL history that says it's not the way to go. But 
when it's cold and it's windy, the last time they played in Buffalo, it was prime time. It was a night game. It was cold. It was windy. And they just ran the ball. And so how experienced your quarterback is becomes a lot less important if you only throw the ball three times. Yeah, and actually for, this is going to sound maybe stupid, but for a rookie, he's got a ton of experience because he's been the guy, not from day one in terms of when they met for the opening of training camp, but Cam Newton got run fairly early. So he's been the guy for a good while now. So for a rookie in the rookie realm of things, he does have a lot of experience. But he hasn't been in an NFL playoff game before. and He's going against a guy who's been in several NFL playoff games and Josh Allen had the Bills in the FC title game. So that would normally be a huge disadvantage, but given how nasty the weather is going to be, I just don't know how much quarterback play is going to matter. I I don't look at quarterback versus one versus the other. I think you put too much emphasis on that stuff. If Brad Johnson can be a Super Bowl winning quarterback, I think there's more to it than that. Well, and rookies don't lose every time. It's not it's not a hundred percent deal. It's, it's but amazing. the rookies in the last 23 NFL playoff games are 6-17. and 17. That's a terrible record. It matters. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, but I, what happened in 1975 just has no bearing here. Three primetime games. Two of them will be played in... Uh, in cold weather locations. I mean, the Bills, that's just off the charts. Arrowhead gets the other primetime game. Sunday night, it'll be uh, Pittsburgh and Kansas City there. Where they got the good weather, they're, they're playing day games, so go figure. And they got a couple. They, they did put the Monday night game. That's in a dome, obviously, in L.A., so. And you would think a dome in L.A. would be the best possible thing, but they actually had a weather delay there because they had a lightning storm earlier this year during the game, and it's got a roof on it, but the sides are open, so they stopped everything. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Hashtag college football. USC wide receiver Brew McCoy has entered the NCAA transfer portal for a third time. McCoy, who initially signed with USC before transferring to Texas and then transferring back to USC, did not play a snap at USC this season after he was arrested in July on suspicion of violating the California uh, penal code. Wow, do I have to read that, Yak? Holy no, cow, man. A domestic, domestic violence, violence charge, yeah. Uh, he was released on $50,000 bond. They declined to file criminal charges in the L.A. District Attorney Office. Uh, so USC conducted its own Title IX investigation, didn't reinstate McCoy from the suspension, did not allow him to participate in team activities. So USC to Texas to USC, now to uh, somewhere he's in the transfer portal. Alabama wide receiver Jamison Williams tore his ACL Monday night. He's announced he's forgoing his senior year. He's entering the NFL draft. He's considered the top wide receiver prospect in the draft class. Led the SEC with 15 touchdowns and 1,500 yards receiving after transferring in from Ohio State. So He's got the knee injury, but somebody is going to jump on him pretty quickly in the NFL draft anyway, apparently. And the Aggies and Cowboys trade quarterbacks. Beasley's going to Wyoming. <laughs> Levi so we refer to, to it. We refer to it as yeah. free agency, uh-huh. and now we essentially have a trade. Oh yeah, it was a trade. Was there any cash considerations? <laughs> nice. Andrew Peasley to the front range, and Levi <laughs> Williams to Logan. It's, uh, that's, that's sort of funny the way that worked out. Yeah. And it still leaves the Aggies deep at quarterback. Oh, that quarterback room. They 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 have an add on. That's how deep it is. 
put a second story on the quarterback room? Well, it depends on, you know, the foundation. Second story. Or they just enclosed the porch. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, man. <laughs> Hunter High School standout sophomore Ephraim Asiata is in critical condition. Two of his teammates, Paul Tai and Tavani Lapati, were killed in a shooting near the school yesterday. Asiata is the son of former Utah star running back Matt Asiata, played on the Sugar Bowl team in 2008, scored a touchdown there in New Orleans. Ephraim previously had played at Harriman High School. Uh, that story was all over the news yesterday, PK. That is yeah. incredibly tragic there. Uh, as the police continue to investigate and make arrests, reportedly they've got somebody arrested. But is it four people now, Yak? Four were one? arrested, two were released, two I think are still in custody. Yeah. What is Trending brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There is no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up this morning, David Locke, his weekly visit coming up at 8 o'clock and at 9.15. Pac-12 Commissioner George Klyovkov will join us, and we will talk Pac-12 with him. DJ and PK, question of the day is coming up next. Stay with us. This is Jake Scott and Ben Anderson. I think the Chiefs and the Green Bay Packers are the two really good teams. In fact, I'm probably changing my Super Bowl pick to mirror what uh, Sam Farnsworth from KSL. That's his pick. I'm probably going to copy that pick now. Never going to pick slash root for the Chiefs. You don't have to pick. You don't have to root for him, but you can pick him. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. Here, Jake Scott and Ben Anderson. Every day from 10 to noon on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. DJ and PK, it is time right now for Hot Takes or Toast. The question of the day is brought to you by Zero Res, the only carpet cleaner for a smarter, lasting clean. Zero Res's patented processes use only water to clean, meaning no crunchy carpets and a spot-free carpet that is safe for the whole family. Schedule your carpet cleaning today by calling 801-288-9376, 801-288-9376, or booking online at zeroresaltlake.com, or if you're up north at zeroresdavisweber.com. Multiple questions, but the one that has gotten the most reaction, BYU is ranked number one in the Director's Cup. What does it mean to Cougar Nation? (laughs) And Alex says it means PK is running this account. (laughs) What does that mean? You love the Cougars, or you love the reaction that comes from talking about the Cougars. So you put this question up to satisfy your own needs. I don't know oh, if that's what it means. I'm just throwing stuff against Dr. the wall. That was David my best. Yeah, here. that's exactly it. <laughs> it's a Rorschach test, man. <laughs> Somebody spilled some ink on a pad of paper. <laughs> well, clearly, that means the wind is out of the out north. They put out an email that said out of the fall, and I guess they put winter, but I don't know how you can put winter in there. It seems like basketball to be included in the winter, but I guess technically it does end in the spring because uh, it's uh, past March 21st. Uh, that they have the best of all the programs in the country, the entire athletic program. That truly is a comprehensive athletic program when you lead the country in the Director's Cup. And all I got to say is thank heaven for women. The women's soccer team to the NCAA title game and the women's volleyball team, the women's cross-country so team. The women's cross-country team finished second in the championships. Yeah, yeah, and the men's cross-country team probably racked up some points, They were too. top 10. Yeah. 
but soccer, volleyball, and cross country on the women's side. Crushing it, crushing it, and crushing and it. And Juddie's basketball team is doing really well. But do you get points for that already? Juddie's no, team that, no, will, that will not I'm just saying. That's like men's basketball. It doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't score points yet, but the way that Juddie's team is going, they're going to. But they have a chance to finish number one when we get to the spring. That would be a significant accomplishment. I mean, Tom Homo was paid for football and basketball largely, but at the same time, you just don't blow off the other programs. I mean, that's not cool whatsoever. So you try to be the very best you can be in all those other sports that they got going on there, swimming, diving, track, field, you name it. I mean, go down the list, right? And so from that standpoint, uh, that's something for him to be extremely excited about. And I was just wondering if you're a BYU fan, you know, what do you think about that? What level of pride do you have that you have this top to bottom, in some sense, great athletic program in some sports? When you're getting to the national final in soccer, and I actually watched the uh, women's volleyball. Was it Purdue? Because it was on. It was on like a, when we got off our show. Yeah, it's right uh, at ten a.m. Yeah, and I and I've always been a huge volleyball guy. We don't give it a lot of run, but having my experience in California and actually covering it covering women's volleyball plenty of times over men's volleyball for that matter too. Uh, so I, I'm interested in it. I know that's nothing that we'd ever spend a segment on, obviously, because we've got to play the hits as Kevin Graham would always say. And so from that perspective, we're not doing that, but what does it mean for those folks? Is it just, well, I'm just a football and men's basketball and the other stuff is nice, but I don't really give a crap. I don't know. I, I can't answer that. I guess it's an individual decision that you make. It depends on, well, mostly I think that is the answer because if it weren't mostly the answer, then the other sports would be drawing 60,000 like football and 15,000 like basketball. So there is certainly less interest in those teams, but I think it depends on what sports you've been exposed to, what sports you've played, or people close to you have you played, because you get you hooked on that sport, and then it becomes easier to follow. And in this era, it's easier than ever, because more of these games are on TV or they're streamed. So if it matters to you, going back yeah, to see, your point, it doesn't have to matter to everybody else, because you can get different. a stream. I think that's different in this case, though. It can you're be. A B, you're a BYU fan. If you wear a BYU shirt, that's representative pretty much of everything that BYU stands for. And it's certainly representative. We look at it uh, for athletics. I'll wear uh, ASU gear, and it represents my connection to the university. Not my connection to the football team, because I don't have a connection to the football team. (laughs) Right? I didn't play on the football team. I don't know anybody on the football team. Back when I did, but that's long gone, right? So I'll just wear it or I have a license plate that says ASU. Well, that's because I went to the school. I graduated from the school. That, that, that's my school. It's not my football team. It's not my basketball team. Uh, really, the one thing that I was most invested in was baseball. I literally had season tickets. They gave them to you if you played high school ball. You could get in the games for free. Just show up and tell them that you were a high school baseball player. And I don't even remember if we used to have an ID. And when I was there, there was no Diamondbacks. So I went to a lot of ASU baseball games. So that was my that was my overwhelming connection. I don't remember going to very many football games, but I would go, uh, you know, because it was much cheaper. Well, it's free. You can't get any cheaper than that, obviously. And me and my buddies would just go and 
Packard Stadium. They don't even have that anymore. They don't play there anymore, but we'd sit there and watch that. So when I wear my ASU gear, it's not, well, look at me. My football team is going to the Sun Bowl or whatever. It's That's not, not, that's not really it. But at the same time, it, it's representative of the university. So I don't even know that you have to be a fan of uh, whatever. I don't even know if they have. I know back east field hockey for the women is big. I don't think we have it out here. But it's about the whole university. So even if you're not interested or paying attention, you should still have a level of pride into these things. And certainly these ladies and men putting in just as much time as anybody else is. I mean, the time that they put in to be as good as they are, they just don't walk out on the field. They put in hours and hours. So you got to respect that. Even if you don't like the sport or don't care about the sport, you got to respect the commitment that those individuals put in to get to where they are. And quickly, this devolves into the rivalry, PK. All the things you say are true. Those are all good points. But Shane Post, can you imagine if the arrogant, mighty Utes would ever win this thing? They'd be way more insufferable than they already are. (laughs) (laughs) I always like to say the rivalry in all things, including the Director's Cup. Are Ute fans insufferable, though? A percentage of every fan base is insufferable. Okay, but that's not the issue. Then no. I mean, I think most of every fan base is not insufferable. Most people right. are not that invested in it. But the people who are invested in it, who choose to go out and make themselves heard, websites, comments, social media, the way they interact with people at work or in the neighborhood, they can be insufferable. I don't really view Ute fans. I'm trying to think what would be examples of ins- insufferability. I, I, I don't know that I can say that about them. What What are they doing that makes them insufferable? We will leave that out there for Cougar fans and let them define that. And Ute fans, why do you find Cougar fans insufferable? Because I've, I think we all know Ute fans who complain about Cougar fans. And then insufferable becomes the word. And the truth is, well, it's not insufferable because you've suffered it for decades and you haven't exploded, so you're fine. Annoying might be a better word. Annoying? But that doesn't convey the intensity of the emotion that insufferable does. No, because when you look at it, what has their athletic program done recently to be insufferable? Not much. Football solid and gymnastics, but where are we going after that? I would think that uh, it's listening to Ute fans talk about the Pac-12 putting the stickers on their car. Yeah, but that was years ago. Yeah, but it just yeah, but you're not PK. You and I didn't go to the bus stop and get annoyed. Yeah, but you're going to the Big 12. I'm talking, yuck. I'm talking about right now. Yuck. yuck just pointed at me like, oh. bingo. Yuck, no, are you scarred no. by the bus stop no. in the fourth no. grade? Recess in the fifth grade? Here's the thing. You guys know I grew up in the shadow of BYU and all that. Mountain View High School, Orem, Utah, baby. One of my best friends growing up in Orem was about as diehard a Utah fan as you will find. And this is back in the era where BYU was still beating them fairly regularly. And he was so we so like this is late eighties, early nineties. No, this is in the nineties. Like they weren't beating him fairly regularly in the nineties. Well, they were at least every other year. They yeah, were. it was back and forth, and he was 
a minority of minorities down there, and he just... The lone Ute fan. Really? Holding the color red in a sea of blue. But my absolute best friend all through my junior high years. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, that, that, they haven't done anything to be insufferable. They went to the Rose Bowl. I think Cougar fans found them insufferable in the... That one probably stung. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think so, man, because they went in a year you beat them. And let's face it, the Pac-12 was way down. Their own commissioner is acknowledging it, and we'll talk to him here in an hour and a half. Yep. So, no, I think they, there's respect for the program, particularly with the deaths of the players and what they've had to deal with with the young men and the, and the emotional upheaval and all that stuff. I think that definitely uh, cut across the rivalry and lightened uh, things up yeah. a lot. They're just a recognition that what they went through is just so horrible. Right. There's nothing going on in that program athletically that is defines as wow they're just so dominant now they're very good the, the women's volleyball team went to the ncaa tournament and just to be able to get to the ncaa tournament is a pretty good accomplishment so i'm not saying they're awful by any stretch uh, that's not the case and they've got some uh the barton girl that got married uh, the, but she's, she's a big time player could probably play in the olympics so that's really cool we'll see how that develops uh, but so we respect that program uh, i think gymnastics uh, if you're into it you're into it if you're not you, you just sort of ignore it and and good for them you know to to, to be to be good at that uh, but I, I don't see where they're doing anything that puts them on the insufferable category and i actually think that uh, the, the rose bowl uh, maybe if they would have won but they didn't win but at the same time it was a heck of a game so if you're a sports fan you love the game the game was all sorts of fun Fact, you know, and and Covey, now he's done. He can't torture you anymore. <laughs> so you you feel a sense of relief that, that you don't have to worry about one of. Speaking of growing up in the shadow, he literally grew up in the shadow. Yaks a Mountain View was a few miles away. I was gonna say Britain's <laughs> a whole lot closer than. Yeah, you would have only been yeah. in the early yeah. morning shadows. But you you can't be because the mountains are they 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 block it too much. Uh, so. <laughs> I mean, Tipview is, you know, it's a nine iron away, and, and Co- Covey is a golfer. That's a heck of fact, a nine iron. <laughs> yeah, well, but yeah, if you're shooting, your driver, then. <laughs> if you're, no, if you're going downhill, though. Yeah, from Tipview to BYU, he gets you get a little roll. roll. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, and then if you should hit, you know, if you hit on the road, you're getting like a mile and a half of cart path. So. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. Every stadium in the parking lot should have, you are now just a nine iron away. There should be like be a, a sign on a post. <laughs> so Britton Covey can't torture you anymore, and he'll go down as the greatest play in Utah history, the kickoff return. It's the greatest play they've ever had. The greatest football play they've ever had. Can you well, imagine as he ran that. through the end zone at halftime against Oregon? If you had pulled the... 50,000, 51, whatever. The, what is the number? It's like 440. It's 444. Is it 51, 444? If you pull all those people and like, how many people think that was the best return of Britain, Britain Covey's ever had? And how many think he'll have a better one? This is his last great return. Or he's act, This was awesome, and he's going to top it. He topped it. He topped it. I'm going to take that play, and I'm going to remember it for the rest of my life. The two greatest plays, the greatest play in BYU athletic history was Ainge against Notre Dame. Oh, I thought you were going to go Harling. No. Back to Harling. 
No, Ainge was just it's the best NCAA individual tournament versus Notre Dame. The best individual college basketball play in the history of the sport was Ainge doing that. And Utah's best football play was Covey. Right there. Take that to the bank. It's inarguable. You want to talk about insufferable? When it comes to definitive statements that are correct, I'm insufferable. Well, Shane, Jeff, and Kevin got into one of those insufferable uh, conversations. Shane posted, Director's Cup, if it's not football, it's nothing. And Jeff posted, signed, the Conference of Champions. Then Kevin posted, thank you, Shane, for your worthless opinion. You're such a savage, Shane. Kevin, easy old man. I know you're an internet tough guy, but don't give yourself a heart attack. There's insufferable, <laughs> there's insufferable going back and forth right there. Those three just got going and took it and ran. Well, they're probably young. David Locke, radio voice of the Jazz, is coming up at 8.05. Pac-12 Commissioner George Klyovkov at 9.15. It's DJ and PK right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. This is Unripe. Guys are doing a hell of a job. Here's what is great about what George Klyovkov said. I love the brutal honesty. I mean, if you can't look at a situation and assess it and, and call it what it is and say what it is, you're never going to improve. If you're constantly putting a Band-Aid on it and say, no, we're, we're in a good spot. We're just, you know, just give us another year. Just give us, you know, it's a building year, you know, but, but man, next year things are going to be good. Next year never comes around. And when you can come out and make a very clear, very bold, very accurate and very honest statement, that's really kind of the first step to like making change. Unbelievable. Catch Unrivaled with Scott Mitchell and Alex Kieran. Weekdays from 3 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. Visit the Ford Fan Zone on Level 6 at the next Utah Jazz game where there are free pop shot games, cornhole, and foosball tables. Enjoy incredible city and mountain views while relaxing, enjoying food and drink, taking in the game, and socializing with friends. All right, question of the day. Part two. Oh, PK, this has been so entertaining. Joe Ingles guarantees he will never get thrown out of a game again. What should the punishment be if he breaks his promise? People have gotten very creative. This has been very well done by our listeners. Aaron says, Joe has to wear American flag shoes and American flag sweatbands on his head and wrists for the rest of the season. Joe thrives on his Australianess. He doesn't like it when PK brings up the fact that his third kid was born in the U.S. and can now be president of the United States. Joe insists when the NBA is done, he's going back to Australia as quickly as possible. Born in the USA. Tyler says a live rendition of him singing the U.S. national anthem on your show. <laughs> I wonder if he knows the words. <laughs> Benjamin says, give up his Australian citizenship and join the DJ and PK show daily post-retirement. <laughs> no, I believe he needs to go back to Australia. That's where his family is. So it's only the right thing to do, right? You can't, you can't be upset for a guy going home, whereas obviously he's got the grandparents for the kids and everything. All that stuff is important. I do think, though, I don't think he can guarantee that promise of – not getting thrown out of a game because was it was it against Sacramento? He had, it was like an awkward collision a little bit mm-hmm. when the player was in midair. And I don't think he meant to do it, 
but stuff can happen. Yep. Now, the two T's by yelling and all that stuff and profanity or whatever it is. He control that, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there can be stuff happen in, in a course of a foul. Because sometimes those fouls in which you get ejected, you don't intend to do it. It just happens. So, But nevertheless, he said he was never going to get kicked out of a game again. So we've got him on record. Joe's old school. Joe's been listening to the show. He says, he needs to get a tramp stamp with PK. Did you ever settle that bet? Yeah. You did not. <laughs> Do you want to see my above my butt crack or what? Is that what you're asking? That's kind of sick, DJ. I want to see the tattoo that you didn't get. You're lying. You okay, but where, lying. Did, where do you get them? Lower back. Or upper what? Butt. <laughs> you can see it with a swimsuit on. Let's go. What have you seen me with a swimsuit? Uh, I haven't because I don't go to Manhattan Beach in the summer. When you go, I stay here and do the show. We don't take our beach vacations together. We both take beach vacations. But we don't take them together. Well, come on. Let's go. Hey, in, in this world of uh, mobility, we can do the show beachside. I'm totally in favor of that. <laughs> I am 100% okay with that. All right, we just we can get a little umbrella, a couple beach chairs, we'll be good to go. We have a former boss <laughs> who I told, hey, digital age, semi-retirement, blogging, podcasting, and now doing shows from Hawaii. Now, the, the shows would be a little tougher. The other stuff isn't time-dependent. With the time difference, that would involve getting up at 4 a.m., and I'm not in favor. No, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be on the air at 4 a.m. <laughs> that's too, that's, that's too much. Uh, well, no. So then we go to the Caribbean, though. It'd be mid Oh, now you're talking. <laughs> we've had, actually, we've had listeners do that and say, oh, I'm listening to you, and get pictures of boats in the Florida Keys and that kind of stuff. That would be They're a like, friend, you Shasta. Yeah, this is way better. I like your show 8 to noon instead of 6 to 10. <laughs> like, okay. In the early days, when I was with the Watchdog, I traveled to the Caribbean three or four times for basketball, and we couldn't do it. Now... I could have, if it were that the case now, I could just take the stuff and we'd be good to go. So let's go. Let's do it. Hey, these other guys, they think they're hot stuff with their own golf tournament. Caribbean vacation. <laughs> DJ and PK. Uh, yes. So long as I can produce <laughs> from the Caribbean, I'm all in. Uh, you'll have to work that out. I don't know how that'll work. But, we'll figure uh, it out. Yeah. So I think that's, hey, DJ, you're a marketing genius. Let's get on that Caribbean vacation with the DJ and PK show. We're sitting in the Florida Keys. Uh, what better way to celebrate our 20th year? How many keys are there? Can we like do one show from a different key every day? How long would we be oh, out yeah. there? I don't know how many islands there are. I haven't been to oh, this is five or six. Nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you could. Obviously, you could. Yeah. Here's a good one. Kyle says if Joe gets kicked out again, his penalty, he has to sport or attempt to sport a man bun. Oh, he didn't even have enough hair. Got to go Ricky Rubio. Yeah, but that'd he be would... great. Just no, a little Rubio's, bit of... got, <laughs> Rubio's got hair all over the place. I know he does. <laughs> He'd have to get extensions. Uh, we got one more here from, uh, let's see, one more I wanted to share. Oh, here it is. Scott, what a wet blanket Scott is. Hopefully he's traded within the month and then we won't care. Oh, boo. This is Scott. 
just trying to hurt people. <laughs> I know. That's an idiot. Dumb All thing right. to say. When we come back, David Locke, radio voice of the jazz, joins us. That's next. George Klavkov, Pac-12 commissioner at 915, right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. David Locke's weekly interview is brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. I know you like to talk David, about things other than... Yes. I have a question. I knew it. <laughs> I was just about to get to that. Go ahead. How many days have you done this show? No idea. 50 times right. 20, that'd be 1,000, 20 years, 23 years, uh, 23,000 shows. There it is. Yeah, there's holidays, vacation. I'm not at 23,000, but probably over 20. I was feeling good about myself because I'm going to call my thousandth jazz game here shortly. Nice. And then I, and so, you know, I was, you know, being, I don't know, PK, I don't know if you'll relate to this at all, but I was being like self-boastful. I don't know if you've ever done that, PK. If you're aware, like, <laughs> I was feeling pretty good about my, I don't know if you've ever done that. So Never. And then I realized when I was coming on with you this morning, Wow. That's really like playing a hundred straight NBA games and then bragging to Ron Boone about it. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. Done in the morning. Yeah, I did. I did bad math there. I'm not a twenty thousand, David. I don't know why I said fifty times twenty. That's the number of hours I've done. Twenty hours in a week, five shows in a week. So uh, it you looks like the number is a little over five thousand, probably. You do about two hundred and twenty shows a year, right? 250 weekdays. PK takes like 80 days off, but I mean, you only take like 25. Right. Sure, we'll go with that. All right. Anyway, I just was—I was just, you know, fawning on your greatness. It's just a regular occurrence. We have Friday morning. Yeah, I, me too. And I, for me, it's Monday through Thursday. I take Friday off. Well, it's because I do it for you. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Right. I mean. What did I say to somebody else? I'm really simple in life. I need chocolate chip cookies, attention, and skiing. And other than that, I'm good. That's a good combination. So I didn't. I, I know that with so many jazz players out, the normal stuff we talk to you about um, isn't really going to work because these games have been bizarro games, and they aren't going to matter when we get to the playoffs because if they have this lineup, then they're out in a heartbeat. And if they have that other lineup, then these games don't mean anything. So I did have other things I wanted to talk to you about today. And one, you're a big Stanford fan. George Klyavkov, the Pac-12 commissioner, is going to be on later in the show this morning. If you had one question for the commissioner, what would you ask him? You guys know way more than I do on this. I'm not sure I have a good answer. I mean, I think they have to diagnose the decline before they can figure out how to fix it. And so it's a hard question for him to answer because it's really criticizing the previous Pac-12 commissioner. But there has been a clear decline in play, recognition, status over the last 10 years. If it's a stock... There's no question what direction the Pac-12 stock has gone. If you're going to fix that, you better diagnose why it went that direction before. And I feel like that's what Larry never did, was he just simply kept kind of throwing spaghetti on the wall and knew this or knew that, but never would admit there was a problem. If you don't admit what's wrong, you can't fix it. So that would be the direction I would go with my question. 
Oh, yeah, very much so. Yeah. I mean, and that's the good thing about him is that he's willing to speak on the things that have not been up to par. And in order, I totally agree with you. Mr. Locke, absolutely, 100%. You have to figure out what the problem is in order to fix it, and you have to acknowledge it. And he's spoken at length about it. It's just a question of whether he can fix it, whether he can sway other conferences, because I think once that they can find a way to expand the playoff and at least get in, then you can go from there to see where you're at. The other one I do, I do think, and this is not his fault, that I have Holly and I talked about this a little bit on the road this year, I, I actually think COVID restrictions impacted play of universities. So if you're in a particularly strict COVID state and your practices were more limited than if you were in a non-strict COVID state, I think it's had an impact on programs. All right, let's get to the Utah Jazz now and discuss uh, one or two things about the Jazz. We were talking about uh, Eric Pascal. And he's... I, have, I, have, I have actually one other note for you, by the way. That's the longest pause ever, David. <laughs> I know, but I just thought of it. All right, go ahead. <laughs> if, I was, if I was commissioner of the, the first job I would hire would be some sort of marketing director to train our schools on how to market their programs and themselves. Because I think a lot of our the schools in the conference are terrible at that. And in this day and age, the transfer portal, that's more important than ever before. Okay, there you go. We were discussing earlier in the show Eric Paschal, and clearly he's done some nice things on the court. And clearly... He will be uh, in the NBA on the Jazz roster, or I don't know if there's some big trade, maybe he could be in it. But he's going to be on somebody's roster. He can play in the NBA. He has proven that. But to get into the Jazz rotation, do you think he's done enough to get into the rotation permanently? What else does he have to do? Does it come down to somebody else being injured or traded to open a spot because of the way the roster is built? If you're looking for him to take the next step, what has to happen? So he has displayed a skill that is important that could get him on the floor. And that is an isolation game from 15 feet out uh, in which if he, actually big or small, but frankly, if you're playing a switching defense and they switch a smaller guard on him, he has shown a fabulous ability to overdrive, play isolation, overpower. It's actually back to his Fordham days before he was Villanova. He really almost played an isolation college kind of swing player, and he's brought that back. And he's a terrific rim finisher, even in traffic. He's about 71% at the rim. So in that circumstance, I think he could be valuable. The flip side, unfortunately, is he is a 30% three-point shooter. So if he's on the floor and you're not putting the ball in his hand, he's, he's clogging the rest of the offense up pretty considerably. And he's not really who you want as your number one option. So that gets a little bit of a delicate balancing act. Um, I think he's a stout defender and he brings some toughness. So again, in the one through five switching, I think he could be helpful in that circumstance. I mean, he did a pretty good job on Jokic earlier this week. Again, on the flip side, his defensive rebounding rate is like 11%, which is, if you the way rebounding rate, if you equally distributed all 10 players on the floor, it'd be 
So he's not a good rebounder. He's six six. So I, you know, there's a little bit of a yin and a yang on him right now of what you're willing to get and what's going to and whether the flip side is going to cause you any problems. When it comes to any acquisitions that they may make, is it hard not to get caught up in the moment? Not following. Sorry. So they're on this four-game losing streak here, and they've had oh, some okay. issues. And so, I don't. I, is it hard not to overreact? Yeah, I don't think so because this team. I actually think what this four-game losing streak has shown us is really how well put together the team is. Uh, to maximize what it can do, both in the front office and the coaching staff standpoint. Uh, the analogy I used on Andrew Scotty was we're a gorgeous crystal ball or we're a piece of glass art. And we're abs- when we're at whole, we're absolutely fabulous. The problem is that our glass is actually a little bit of a jingle block. And if you pull one piece out, then the light doesn't reflect through it. It's not actually attractive and it actually might collapse. And that's really what we have found out here. And I don't know that that's, like, so what? Like, if you took Jokic off the Nuggets, so would they. You take Steph off the Warriors, so would they. Like, you know, other than the Brooklyn Nets, you know, you take Giannis off the Bucks for a long time, I think as good as Middleton and Holiday are, they're not carrying. So I don't know if I think that's that big a deal. And I actually think it just shows how well put together and that the pieces, because the pieces of this puzzle or this piece, when they're playing together. And they've all got pretty big warts when they're not. And so I think it's actually a sign of how well put together the team is. If we're healthy, we're a title contender. And if we're missing number 27, we're not very good. David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, joining us. The Grizzlies are on a magnificent run. 21 out of 25 now. And they have done it missing key players. John Morant was out for a while. Dylan Brooks is out now. So it's not like they've been whole and everybody else has had health issues and availability issues. So full credit for that. But does this translate to the Grizzlies making a deep playoff run? Or is this like the Jazz going on a run 20 out of 21 last year, but they're out in the second round? Acknowledging the second round is a step forward for the Grizzlies, and they should be pumped about it. Well... There's nobody in the first round that's going to feel comfortable about getting in the second round. Because there's a real chance that the four road teams in the second and first round of the Western Conference playoffs are Dallas with Luka Doncic, Denver with Nikola Jokic, and Jamal Murray, the Clippers with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, and the Lakers with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Those are your four road teams. I'm not counting the second round for anyone. Um... In regards to Memphis, you've touched on it, DJ. They're just above average at every position, and then Jaws amazing, and Jared Jackson playing great. But they're so good at every they have they're better than you in every position, or at least better than average in almost every position. And that's why, and it's really what we were last year too, when we are at full strength and we have our bench unit, and everyone's playing well, and that you know group of Mike and Jordan and Joe and. Uh, this year, Rudy Gay. Last year, um, was I don't remember who it was, but uh, yeah. George the uh, 
played great as a backup point guard. He's probably one of the five best backup point guards. Desmond Bain has become bona fide. What a steal he was. Uh, and then you kind of run through each of their Jaron Jackson, Stephen Adams. Like they're 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 really just they're crazy deep, and they're doing a nice job of playing some young kids that actually you know the one exception would be Zaire Williams out of Stanford. Not not very good yet. He's long. He's athletic. And he has a positive impact in his 12 minutes on the floor every night. So they just and Taylor Jenkins. Taylor Jenkins is one of the best coaches in the league. Like that, that's got to be talked about. He's incredible. Well, you've been on then that the standings really matter in terms of matchups. If we're going to have all these guys come back, does that decrease the emphasis on the standings since you're guaranteed basically to get a tough matchup no matter where you are in the first round? I think it increases the importance. One, because of home court. Two, because there is a chance if you have eight that something funky could happen and you end up with Minnesota or San Antonio or, uh, I mean, I want to say Sacramento, but they really prevent me from ever saying it with their actions. Sorry, DJ. No, that's fine. I know a better name one. I'm not. I'm not debating at all. It's it's. That organization, through multiple owners, now multiple arenas, has done some crazy stuff. And it is hard to dig a hole and stay in it the way they have. But they have. Speaking speaking of general incompetence, uh, did you guys see the note on the Knicks and their first-round draft pick? No. The the last first-round draft pick that the Knicks signed to a second contract because they traded Kevin Knox yesterday. Is Charlie Ward. Oof. <laughs> Jeez. Like 94, isn't it? That would be the right ballpark, yeah. Yeah. Going back to his Florida State quarterback days. Big time college the football last, player. Yeah, the last first-round draft pick, the Knicks signed to a second contract, won a Heisman Trophy. Bad. I know there was a coach who who there who wanted to draft uh, Donovan Mitchell. That coach is no longer there. He used to play for the Jazz. <laughs> so when did you talk to Jeff recently? It was a while ago. You know what's really interesting is that there's 29 teams that now say they wanted to draft um, Donovan Mitchell. It's the same Draymond Green phenomenon. Like I, Draymond Green was better than Donovan Mitchell because at least Donovan went like in the top whatever. Draymond Green was the second-round draft pick that every single team passed on, including the Warriors twice, by the way. Like, if the Warriors, like, pump their chest about their Draymond Green pick and their owner tells us how he has the special sauce and is just smarter than everyone else. If you go back and look, they had, like, multiple late picks. I think they passed on Draymond Green twice in that draft before they took it. You know, it's funny you say that because one of the uh... – <laughs> Scott Layden could be really dry and really, but man, he went he went nuts once when I was talking to him about that. He says we get so much credit for drafting Stockton Malone. He says if I knew what Stockton and Malone were going to turn into, I should be fired for not mortgaging the farm and trading up to get them. I should have right. never sat there and let them fall to us. I mean, yeah, we picked them when they fell to us, but we didn't move up to go get them. We should have if we'd known they were going to turn into this. So, yeah. All right. All right. That's a great point. Great point. All right. I appreciate it, David. Thanks for joining us. And uh, we'll listen to you Sunday with the Jazz and the Nuggets.
Well, that will be fun. And um, BK, I'm a little hurt. Like, Why? I told you to call me, and I was going to help you with something, and you still wouldn't call me. Like, you I, mean, I understand to... you don't call just to say hi. You call because you want tea time. Or you need something, <laughs> and then you needed something you didn't even call. You didn't tell me to call you. That's not true. Did I, I miss that? I on that little issue you were having. Call me. I must have missed that then, because I certainly would have. Yes, I would have. I, I'm totally. I'll go back and check. All right. Well, then I blew up, but I'm available, so call me on that if you want. Okay. Gotcha. Ne- never be afraid. What? This is a tip for everybody. Never be afraid to pick up the phone, call somebody, and start a conversation. You haven't talked to somebody in a while, and say, "Hey, do you know why I'm calling?" And they'll say, "No," and they'll say, "Because I need something." You will inevitably get a laugh. <laughs> you will inevitably get a laugh. I've done it many yeah. times. Okay. Okay. But when I've called locks, sometimes. The need is for counsel, so that's out of respect. It's not don't. I'm not saying give me money or do or something a, for me. Right? Yeah, no. I've called you him need several advice. times that I I want his opinion because that's how high I value it. So let's broaden the definition of need here. You just want me? Oh wait, I didn't sound right. Never mind. Let's get out of the show. DJ PK, he's David Locke. David, thanks for joining us. And we will talk with George Klyovkov and get to your point with him. Pac-12 commissioners coming up at 915 right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. This is Jake Scott and Ben Anderson. Aaron Rodgers is terrific. Aaron Rodgers is very mad. That'd be weird. Wins the Super Bowl and, and bolts. But that's his style. That's totally his he style. He would love to do that. He would love to do yeah. that. He's never going to be happy wherever Still he goes. Still going to be mad. He's an angry guy. Here, Jake Scott and Ben Anderson. Every day from 10 to noon on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. DJ and PK in the morning. Proudly presented by Mark Miller Subaru. Question of the day, we're getting a lot of responses. We've got multiple questions up, and people are jumping all This is a good time, PK. There's a lot going on. The NFL playoffs start Saturday. What could possibly be better? Nothing. <laughs> Come on, PK. In terms of sports? The NFL playoffs are the pinnacle of your life. <laughs> in, terms of, in terms of sports, not life, sports. <laughs> okay. In terms of sports, the only knock I can have on the NFL playoffs, because they are obviously a major event and a gazillion people watch all these games and root for against teams and holler and scream and do all that stuff. The only thing I can say is, we don't have a team here, so we don't have a rooting interest that we do in the same way. You and I have both lived in NFL towns. We have friends and family in NFL towns. A lot of our listeners can probably check one or both of those boxes also. And in those towns, it's different than it is here. When I was a kid in San Diego when the Chargers finally made the playoffs, it was, it was all-encompassing. It, it was crazy. And I assume right now that with the Cardinals getting ready for a Monday night playoff game with the Rams, it's nuts in Phoenix. You listen to Phoenix radio. Your sisters live down there. It's nuts. I know plenty of Niner fans from growing up in California. And San Francisco's amped up. Probably not like they were back in the day when they were winning Super Bowls left and right because they don't have anticipation of winning the Super Bowl. But nonetheless, they're amped up for a playoff game with the Cowboys. I've spoken to several ex-girlfriends this week. The that Valley is on fire. Yeah, a kid. Yeah, I mean, I could talk to two or three a day and still Still not fill up my phone lines. I mean, come on. Let's. I mean, I, I in in high school and college, there was many a weekend that I, in fact, did trip the light. Fantastic. Yeah, second reference. Good joke. Good <laughs> 
<laughs> NFL, I want I want another one in the nine o'clock hour. NFL playoffs start Saturday. What could possibly be better? All right, you asked. What could be better in sports? You say nothing, but here come some nominees. Dustin, on the point I'm just making, an NFL franchise in Salt Lake that is in the playoffs, that would be better. I don't rule it out one day, someday. I do. I don't. And I think you're dumb to do that. (laughs) Who's going to pay for the stadium? That's a huge problem. NFL owners don't play for stadiums. They expect cities to do it. And three cities have just lost football teams because they wouldn't do it. And St. Louis would argue that they didn't even get a fair chance to do it, and that's why they had a lawsuit. I was like, they sued. For they they literally sued, yeah, right? But St. Louis, Oakland, and San Diego lost teams. And that's just recently. Uh, there are other cities that have lost teams. And Houston wouldn't do it, lost the Oilers, then they did it, and they got the Texans. Ditto for Cleveland and the Browns. And Baltimore and the Ravens. So there's plenty of examples. I just don't see who's going to... The, the thing, I guess, that would give you a form of encouragement, if you would like to do your really bad accent, and Yak is lip-syncing it right now. I'm going to look away. A form of encouragement is that the football stadiums are, and, and Arizona and Vegas are two examples, are being turned slowly but surely into multi-purpose facilities, which economically makes a little more sense. Put a concrete floor in, roll the grass in and out. If you put grass down, then there's a bunch of events that you can't, you can't have. Rolling a grass field in and out off a concrete floor Okay, you got more options, more things that you can you can put in that stadium. I wanted to talk about the NFL playoffs, and you're talking to me about grass. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, nobody wanted to talk about the playoffs. People are here like you ask what's better, and Don says summer and drag racing. Danny says fishing. Michael says the start of the next college football season. Yeah, I think that America would disagree with all of those. (laughs) (laughs) America would, because the NFL is the most popular thing we've got. Didn't we go through that the last couple years with the kneeling? And it's interesting, like the kneeling. It's like nobody does it. it. Yeah, it was was such a big deal. It was such an uproar a year or two ago. How many many words were written and spoken about that? Yeah. Regardless of what your politics are or what you thought of that. But what is the grand total of the number of words spoken and written? And they don't do it now. And life has gone on. And... I thought I saw somewhere, you, you would know this, uh, that they set records this year uh, for viewership and all that stuff. Yeah, it, is simply the, the it is simply the biggest thing we have. And the postseason is bigger than the regular season. So if it's the biggest sporting, a sporting thing I'm talking about, if it's the biggest sporting thing we have, and now it's the postseason, it stands to reason that this is about a, going to be the biggest thing that we have. The thing that I love, and it's, it's a knock that I've and I've had this against the NBA playoffs. It just takes too long. Your postseason shouldn't be longer than a month, and for the NBA, it is. I, I don't know how to fix it. I, I, I'm not offering any solutions. I don't have any solutions, but it just seems like two months pushing into Father's Day is too long. I I wish there was something they can do. I mean, I can live with it, but at least you know NFL playoffs are here. They start tomorrow, and in one month, it'll be done. We'll have a Super Bowl winner. 
it's it's compacted and it builds up momentum during the week, particularly in those towns. Yeah, I agree with you. If you have that and your team wins from round one to round two and so forth, the momentum builds and it becomes the dominant topic. All right. I understand that completely. We don't have that. But still, most places don't have an NFL franchise. And that's just the way it is, right? Because there's way more places in the country than there are teams. But yet you still pull in all of those things there. It's like saying, well, America is just a woolly 100% a racist country. And we've elected two African-Americans. Portions are. But the blanket, the whole country doesn't really make sense to me, but that's me. Maybe I'm off base on that. So it's the same thing, same type of principle. The NFL markets are very select, and they have to draw in from so many different areas. I mean, look at the Broncos. They're drawing in from at least three states, if not four. Yeah. Right? The way they're situated. situated. And if we ever got a team here, we would do the same. In terms of uh, drawing in from oh, yeah. multiple Wyoming, states, Wyoming and Idaho and Nevada, yeah, Elko would be all about it. Oh, obviously they would. Yeah, Idaho Falls, hello, Evanston. I mean, I mean, they're smaller communities, granted, right? But nevertheless, they would be across state. No, lines. but these teams are all regional, and uh, just tons of Cowboys fans in San Antonio, three hours away. Tons of oh, Cowboys, sure. tons of Cowboy fans everywhere. Yeah, hey, everybody talks about, uh, you know, it's the constant. Uh, the Broncos are always on the TV. They're our local team. Guess which team had the most games televised in Utah this year? You've got, you've got the ticket. A lot of people don't. But if you don't have the ticket, which team did you see the most in Utah? The Cowboys. Every game but one was on TV in Utah, one way or another. Thursday night, Sunday night, Monday night, they played a Saturday game the last weekend of the season. Uh, when their games are regionalized on Fox or CBS, mostly on Fox, but uh, CBS had a Cowboy game as well. Okay, is there any other sport that could pull that off? No. No. I mean, the, Lake, the, the Lakers and the Yankees and the Red Sox, uh, similar, but not to the Cowboys level. And you're just talking regular season, too. Yes. Granted, they have fewer games, so it's a much bigger deal, right. each individual right. game. But I think the, in the NBA, the Lakers, they always find a way to put the Lakers on TV. You know, you turn on NBA TV or ESPN or TNT, uh, Lakers are on more than their fair share. And I think with the baseball packages, if you, if you charted it, you'd probably see the same thing with the Yankees and the Red Sox. Well, yeah, I mean, every time those two play, it's a Sunday, right. it's the Sunday night game. Right. But then Granted. they go on the road, and they're in cities they're not normally in. If they're in a National League city, they'll find an excuse to put that game on. Uh, whoever else is oh, really yeah. good at that Oh, yeah, and the people go nuts point. when they go into town. Right. Well, when, the, when they decided to play a game in Iowa, right, and go out to the movie set, you know, and play and do the whole Field of Dreams thing, the Yankees were playing. Well, of course they were. And if they do it again, I bet the Red Sox are playing of course they will. NFL is the biggest thing. And every game is huge. Every game. Every game. The, from the, for the Raiders and, and Bengals, we'll kick it off tomorrow, right? And, 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 and part of it, too, I think, is in uh, what percentage of the country. You got nowhere to go. So your butt is inside. Right? Uh, so yeah. the t- t- time of year helps. Yeah. Right. And so I know as a kid, I had this little black and white TV. It must have been 
uh, I don't know, what, 20 inches? Maybe, maybe not even that. It was just this real little thing. And my parents, when I got like in the sixth, seventh grade, they let me put it in my own, my own little bedroom that we had. My sisters uh, were always jealous because they had to share a room and I got my own because of the gender differences, obviously. And uh, so I would be on that thing and I would just, oh my gosh, I knew who was playing, when they were playing, Channel 2, Channel 4, Channel 7. That was the, the New York stations. And it was just huge. And I never really hadn't had a favorite team growing up. I like Roger Stallback. So I was associated with the Cowboys through Roger because Roger was my ultimate hero growing up. Uh, I, I just really, just really loved him for whatever reason. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I know I got on a Willie Mays because I did a book report when I was in the second or third grade. I mean, he was basically done playing at that point. Uh, but, uh, and plus he was playing on the other side of the country and it's not like I ever saw him play, but nevertheless, I latched onto him. I don't know why I latched onto Roger, but I did. And he was my big time hero. So I, I rooted for him and the Cowboys after he left. I lost any allegiance to the Cowboys at the time. And I'm not a Cowboy fan now, but I just remember being so big. I can remember as a little kid watching the Immaculate Reception. In the garage, and Dad and I yelling so loud, Mom thought there was some kind of industrial accident with a saw or something, and came out, and she was livid. Livid? Furious. (laughs) That we had scared her like that. And we were just, we were, it was the craziest thing. And of course, nobody in San Diego liked the Raiders, so everybody thought it was awesome. Oh, okay. Yeah. The Steelers at that point had never, had never won anything. They had been terrible, my dad's entire life. It it was awesome. Yeah. I mean, it was incredible. It's a, it's a long lasting play. How many plays have a name associated to it? Just a handful. Right. And that's what's so cool about sports is every time you watch, you could have something that could last forever. You know what I mean? Yep. And you don't know. You don't. You are you going to have a Kirk Gibson moment? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome when that happens. Right. And it it stands a possibility. Now that was the immaculate reception. What what round? I don't even know what round. What level of playoff was it? I don't. I don't remember. It but was, I remember the play. Well, they didn't have a wild card round. It was yeah, a divisional, I know, I it was a divisional round. It was a divisional round. That was what Pittsburgh wanted to get to the AFC title game. Right. So it wasn't even to go to the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl. Yep. yep. But yet we still can recall it. Yep. And if you can recall something all these years later, that just makes it so awesome. When I was a, uh, I moved out to Arizona. My parents sent me out to start my freshman year of high school, right? And they stayed behind. My older sister, both of them are older, but the one who's older than the other one, she had moved out to Arizona, right, with her then-husband. And so my parents sent me out to live with her. So I'm 13, 14 years old, and they send me out to my with my sister. I love my sister. I hated her husband. Thank goodness she got rid of him and has now been married to somebody that I – really look up to for almost 40 years but nevertheless uh they send me out there right well i go back for christmas because they're going to uh sell the house and everything and then we're going to drive out to uh phoenix and my parents no jobs by the way 
and no idea what they're going to do, but they move out there. Talk about crazy. Could you imagine doing that? No. (laughs) That makes me nervous just thinking about it. (laughs) I've moved. I've changed cities multiple times, but always with a specific reason to go. I am going to college, so I'm moving to Santa Barbara. I have a job at a TV station, so I'm going to Sacramento. I have a job at a TV station, so I'm going to Salt Lake City. Yeah, there's always been a plan. Well, that's for when I moved to California, because I had a but job. I, I moved to Salt Lake. I have I heard of people. Your parents said this is not like there are people oh, who yeah. go city shopping. I want to live here, and then yeah. they move there and look for a job. Well, that's crazy to me. Uh, I know. I'm with you. Uh, I'm with you. <laughs> so they do that, right? So we were moving. It's the post Christmas week, and we took a southern route for weather to move out. And I think we're in Virginia. And the Cowboys. It's a Sunday, and the Cowboys are playing in a playoff game. We get in a car, and I keep bugging them. It's just the three of us. And I said, man, man the Cowboys, Cowboys are playing today. It starts at 1 o'clock. starts at 1 o'clock. We have a cross-country drive. We drove like 25 miles, checked into another hotel to watch the game. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't remember who they were playing. I don't remember who won. Nothing. Oh, that's really disappointing. Lives. Now I want to know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who. Well, well what year? What year did you move? I can look it up. I'm going to figure this it's out. Seventy four. Uh, you have to go back and think about. It. I think it was then. Yeah. And so we only we drove like literally twenty miles, and when we had a cross country trip planned, and it got to the point where uh, school was going to start, and we only got as far as Memphis. <laughs> And school starting, so my parents <laughs> scraped up some money. They put me on a plane. He <laughs> got you out to I, Arizona for school. Yeah, well, they true meandered story. across the country at twenty five miles a day. <laughs> 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 they, That's they, hilarious. Twenty five yeah. miles. I mean, like you're not even getting from like Salt Lake to Ogden or Provo. <laughs> I know. I know. Miles. I know. At least that's the way I remember it. No, they're gone, so I can't uh, can't check confirm with them. that. But I'm I, I'm almost positive we barely drove. And my father said, "Let's." And my father and I, I could start crying here in a minute. I mean, he would have given me everything he had plus a million. The issue is he didn't have much, but whatever he had, he gave me everything. You know, I mean, the the love a father had for a son, there's no greater than what he manifests him for me. Uh, that's just just a fact and he knew i really wanted it so he did it and then there so so i heard i'm I'm just a little dorky freshman and they stick me on a plane in memphis so i can start school uh the next day on the monday after we reconvene after the christmas break and my sister drove down to sky harbor to pick me up and there i was in school on time but that's how big of a deal nfl playoffs have always been for me they've always and maybe i get caught up in the moment because it's now it's not the middle of summer. And maybe in the middle of summer, if you say NFL playoffs, I won't think, ah, oh, wow, that's the greatest. But in the moment, yeah. It is in the moment because in March, you're going to be telling us what a great month, month March is. And in October, you'll tell us what a great, this is the best month, oh. this is the best time. Because you get yeah. seasons overlapping and multiple championships. And, you know, it's just crazy. I was already dreaming watching the college football game on Monday. Because they started playing that ad for the Masters. <laughs> right. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> now, see, that's a reason to take the show on the road. we got to get Bob and Brian to hook us up. Do the show from Augusta. That would be awesome. Oh, that absolutely would. That Excellent would be idea. awesome. 
And it would, it would relate to the to show. It wouldn't be us just taking care of us. Us sitting on a beach is just oh, us no, taking we, care of us. I mean, not that we wouldn't have a great time at the Augusta, because we would, but at least well, it would be a story associated and, with and us then we, And then we get Tony and Mike Weir to come on afterwards. See? I like it. Yeah. I, you got to work on that, brother. You know, if it was 74, then it was probably a nondescript random playoff game, and the Cowboys have been good enough. They've played a lot of those. If it was 75, PK, you might have been checking in. Speaking of named plays, the Hail Mary, which we now use high school, college, pro, all across oh, the country. Pearson? Yes, the first Hail Mary. Roger Staubach to Drew Pearson to beat the Vikings, December of 75, and that was called the Hail Mary, and then every long last second pass after that was is called a Hail Mary. So to have a play named the Immaculate Reception isn't reused on a weekly basis. The Hail Mary is. Cowboy playoff game, 1975. There you go. All right, we got to take a break. We got George Klavkov, the Pac 12 commissioner, coming up. He's going to be here at 9 15. DJ and PK get to uh, where's the Pac 12 going? Where's the TV contract going? Where's the playoff going? We'll talk with the Pac 12 commissioner at 9 15. Stay with us. This is Unripe. You guys are doing a hell of a job. I just believe. It can't be status quo for Utah because if it's status quo, USC, Oregon are going to go. They're going to blow by Utah in the next couple of years. Utah's got to get bolt. They got to get creative. They got to get outside the box. They got to get some big time recruits bigger than what they've been getting. That is unbelievable. Catch Unrivaled with Scott Mitchell and Alex Kieran weekdays from three to seven on 97.5-1280 The Zone, powered by KSLSports.com. DJ and PK talking a little NFL playoffs this morning. We're about to have the Pac-12 commissioner, George Klyavkov, on. Got six playoff games this weekend, a doubleheader Saturday, a tripleheader Sunday, and then for the first time, Monday night football. Cardinals and Rams, a playoff game in L.A. PK, usually the road team wins about a third of these games. I think there's a couple home teams that are uh, just overwhelming favorites. I would never pick against the Chiefs straight up at home against the Steelers. I would never pick against the Bucks. Tom, and I know Tom Brady's, you know, he's got guys in and out of the lineup, skill players around him. Uh, they may not have all their guys because they haven't had all their guys. But the Bucks, Eagles, I think everybody's picking the Bucks straight up. So set those two aside. If the, if the visitors are going to win a third of the games, they're going to win twice. That means these other four games are toss-up material. Who do you like on the road? Raiders, Bengals, very tempted. Uh, total wild card because of the weather. The Patriots and Bills is going to be awful. One, one defensive back slipping on one play, touchdown game swings. I would stay away from that. The Cowboys, 6-0 and in the division, 6-5 and outside the division. You gotta like the Niners against the Cowboys, don't you? I know Garoppolo makes people nervous, but you gotta like the Niners against the Cowboys, don't you? I don't. Really? I think Dak is I don't think Dak is a big time quarterback, but I think they're good enough to win at this level. Now when I go quarterbacks, you say over and the first thing you do is run to the quarterback. You're killing me here. I say he's not a big-time quarterback. I, to, to go on this level, I think he can. I think yeah. they can do it. I'm talking not just him. Well, then if you want to, if you want to go quarterbacks, and I think trusting quarterbacks is a big thing. Now, if you got two quarterbacks you can trust, you move on to the next, the next, 
you know, check some more boxes here. Cardinals, Rams, neither one of these guys has proven that he's got a chance to win the playoff or that he can win the playoffs. Now you can say Kyler Murray's way young. You got to give him a chance. Here's a chance. You do. And for yeah, Stafford, he's older, but he's in Detroit. He didn't have a chance. So unknown quantities. Now we have fresh memories of Stafford throwing picks. The Cardinals, for whatever reason, terrible at home, great on the road, eight and one on the road. And they're on the road against a Ram team that's five and three at home. So is that your road team, the Cards? Uh, I think they can win, but I would feel a lot more comfortable if they had Hopkins. I think losing Hopkins is a significant blow. I'm also surprised that you just overlook the AFC's top seed and don't give them any respect. Well, the AFC's top seed isn't playing this weekend, so I wasn't talking about the Titans. I understand that, but I'm talking about going forward here. I realize just this I was just picking games for this weekend. Yeah, I think they're a huge question mark because if Henry's back and he's 100%, well, then the layoff can actually work for him because he's fresh, he's not worn down. And at that point, look out. I mean, look out. But is he coming back at 60%? He's not as explosive because then they can be beaten. That that is a huge wild card. I'm talking generally, we go right to the Chiefs. Yeah, yep. Because but they've we been don't in the go AFC, to Tennessee. Because they've been in the AFC title game three years in a row, the Super Bowl twice, and they won one of them. And that's they've got the postseason track record. All right, DJ and PK, we got to take a break. Kla- George Klavkov, Pac-12 commissioner, is coming up at 9.15, right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. The NFL playoffs getting underway Saturday with a doubleheader, Sunday a tripleheader, the Monday night football game, Cardinals and Rams. And I can't wait for uh, Wednesday when we have the winner of that game talking about how little prep time they have for the next playoff game. But, hey, grab the money. Game's in prime time. PK, we're old enough to remember when there were no playoff games in primetime. And now there are three playoff games in primetime, and two of them are in super cold weather. But you know what? That's where the money is. So forget about the weather. Go get the money. Uh, yeah, I, I do have a hard time forgetting about the weather if it negatively impacts the game substantially. Which the Patriots and Bills could because we already saw a primetime game between these two teams in Buffalo that didn't look like NFL football. You may have found it entertaining. You may not. 50-mile-an-hour gusts? Come it on. It didn't now. look like NFL football. They didn't throw the ball. It looked like NFL football from the 50s. God, can't they come up with a way to put up a bubble? They should probably explore that in Buffalo. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they had in the, the bubble and the dome and the silver dome? The Metro Dome there in well, Minnesota. Well, you do it like at tennis places. They put up a bubble in the winter. Yeah. You know, or a swimming pool. They put up a bubble in the winter. Retrofit the stadium. Let's make it happen. I, I don't. Is that possible? Is there I have something no idea. they could do? I'm, I don't know. My my engineering background is really weak. I just don't like it. It's a huge game. It's a big deal. A ton on the line. And I don't like it when the weather just substantially affects the outcome or the course of the game. I think I'm, that's unfortunate. I'm with you. And I don't know that it would have been a lot better if that had been the Sunday 11 a.m. game, which is where they put the Eagles-Buccaneers games. Uh, Eagles-Buccaneer game. Uh, Why those two couldn't flip-flop, I'll never know, but they couldn't, apparently. I mean, the cold is cold, and it's going to be cold. We understand that. It's cold in most of the country in January, so I can live with that. But I'm talking about the other elements of of the weather. I want to see these phenomenal athletes play at a phenomenal level. I want to see Josh Allen throw the ball. I don't want to see him have to hand off 60 times because nobody can throw the ball. And that may be what we're signing up for. We'll find out Saturday night.
I know. Uh, the other NFL story, uh, David Coley has been fired after one season in Houston. Now, we were just talking Ridiculous. about how five-year plans have turned into three-year plans, and now a lot of coaches are getting fired after two years, and now we have a guy fired after one year when we knew the starting quarterback wasn't going to play, and they got to 4-13. and 13. I don't know what they expected. We're not there every day to see how it works, but what did you hire this guy for? What do you, well, the, I mean, if you fire somebody after a year, did you hire the right person? No. Why no, that's, you on, know? that's on you. Yes. Yeah, that that's so stupid. I mean, obviously, Urban got fired less than a year, uh, so but the, I guess there was extenuating circumstances, at least publicly. Yeah, but how in the world was uh, Houston set up to win? any more than they did. I mean, come on. Somebody who works his whole life for this opportunity and then barely does it. Although sometimes, you know, I guess it, it's the right thing to do because if you look at uh, Arizona, they did the same thing. I can't remember the guy's name, but he only got one year before they brought in uh, Kingsbury. Of course, then folks will say, well, that's what happens to African-Americans. They only get one season. They don't get enough opportunity. And for those who want to bang that drum, I mean, they certainly have evidence. Yeah, it's not just there. It's Miami, too, where they let Coach go after two years, and they seem to be trending in the right direction. They had a young quarterback. It was a terrible start. The team could have quit on him. At 1-7, and seven, in pro sports, if you quit on the coach, that wouldn't be surprising. And they didn't. They won seven in a row. And I know they didn't beat great competition, but... They, well, since when have the Dolphins been able to turn up their nose at getting to the middle of the NFL? I mean, it's been a long time since the Dolphins were great and they were routinely in the top third. And we're 25 years removed from that. Turn up their nose. That's turn up their nose. A weird phrase. <laughs> probably never, or probably not for a long time anyway. And I was listening to a show, one of the shows yesterday, the national show was talking about this. Tomlin's the only African-American coach in the NFL now. Houston and well, Miami. Well, they'll be pr- yeah, they'll and, be and there's eight jobs open, so that can change. But of the 24 jobs uh, that currently have a head coach, Tomlin's the only African American. And the NFL's got an issue. I mean, there's no way around it. That's a problem. Yeah, the Jets guy's minority. Uh, but uh, going forward, I, I would think that that they have a PR issue. Uh, so I would think they would correct that. I mean, Bienemy seems to be next in line, and there's probably some other dudes I don't even know about that are interviewing for it. I know Marvin Lewis wants back in. Yeah. Well, and Flores and Miami could end up back in because I think this league-wide, and there's been more time to react to that than to this, and the reaction has just been widespread. What are the Dolphins doing? And so that makes me think Flores could land into the job. So we'll see how this plays out. There's eight jobs to, to fill. Coming up next, we're talking college football. We're talking Pac-12 with the commissioner, George Klyovkov. He joins us next right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. This is Jake Scott and Ben Anderson. I think the Chiefs and the Green Bay Packers are the two really good teams. In fact, I'm probably changing my Super Bowl pick to mirror what uh, Sam Farnsworth from KSL. That's his pick. I'm probably going to copy that pick now. Never going to pick slash root for the Chiefs. You don't have to pick. You don't have to root for him, but you can pick him. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. Here, Jake Scott and Ben Anderson every day from 10 to noon on 97.5, 1280 The Zone, powered by kslsports.com. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are joined right now by the Pac-12 Commissioner, George Klyavkov. Commissioner, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks for having me on. 
You've done a lot of these interviews. You talked to a lot of people. You came through town and did a, uh, a tour and met with a lot of media up at the University of Utah when you're here. You've done that in other towns. So a lot of these questions go towards, you know, what's wrong with the Pac-12 and how can it be fixed and how can the reputation be upgraded? And before we get into all of that, and we will, I'm curious how much of what has gone wrong, what needs to be fixed, can be done by the Pac-12 commissioner and the conference office, and what percentage is on the schools? Because obviously the TV contract matters, and that's not something a coach can control, but obviously hiring good coaches, assistant coaches, and, and bringing in talented recruits is not on the conference office. So what is the, the balance here? How much of this is on your plate? Yeah, listen, I think it's, it's probably 80-20, probably 80% of the, uh, the decisions that lead to football success. Uh, happen on the campus and not at the conference. But the 20% is an important 20%, right? We, we have to be better about providing a better platform when we renegotiate our media rights. And, and that's related to revenue. It's related to distribution. It's related to competitive advantage, deciding who gets to play at what time of the day for, you know, for highlighting for AP voters uh, and CFP voters on the East Coast. So we, we have a lot of work to do, but uh, the, the, the larger input to football success comes on the campus for sure. Commissioner, at least publicly, there seems to be a reluctance to want to come up with a format to expand the playoff. How much of that do you think is self-serving in terms of the conferences looking out for themselves and aren't really interested in going beyond what's best for them individually? I think everybody's trying to balance what's right for themselves and their conference with what's uh, right for college athletics and college football. And it's a difficult balancing act. And I think, you know, in the past, uh, folks have had the opportunity to kind of work through these issues in private and, you know, make the kind of accommodations for each other that are required to get to a yes. And I think the mistake that we made in this process was, we announced in June, you know, the month before I started, a uh, proposal that came out of a subcommittee, which were four of the 11 members that have to say yes to change the format within the current term. And it was announced the same day that the other seven got to see it for the first time. And I think in the past, what has happened is all of these really difficult discussions that have been going through the last seven months have happened privately, not in the press. <laughs> and, and then once you come to a solution, you announce it and everybody is delighted. I think we've misset the fans' expectations back in June. But this is a process that, I, uh, that has happened from what I've, I've, has been shared with me by the other commissioners every single time we've done this, right? There's a negotiation. You get to the right answer. It takes time. Uh, this time we just happen to be doing it in the press, which I think is, is, a, is a bad idea. And I hope we don't do it again. Certainly an expanded playoff would bring in more money. Nobody doubts that, and that alone will probably ensure that it happens one day sooner, not later. But the whole competitive aspect of college football, I don't know that that changes, and I don't know that league's reputations change. Alabama and Georgia won semifinal games in blowouts, and most of the playoff semifinals, since we went to a four-team tournament here, have been blowouts. So putting in... Teams 5 through 12 seems to say, well, we're going to have some more lopsided games. How will that change the Pac-12's image? Will it be, you know, if you, if you can't win those games and you're going out early or getting blown out by whoever is as good as Alabama or Georgia, it's going to be like the basketball tournament where there's some level of satisfaction in saying we were Sweet 16 or we are Elite 8 or we were Final Four. How's that going to work? 
Well, I, I think basketball is actually a really good analogy for why it will work uh, once you expand CFP. I think the you know the issue with a four-team playoff is if you were good in one of the early years of the four-team playoff, it becomes a lot easier to recruit five and four-star athletes and to get back there again. And I think you see that as kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Because the teams that were good in the early years of the CFP got uh, higher recruited players. They were able to get back. And now the vast majority of the CFP invitations have gone to four or five schools. And if we would have had a similar kind of structure in basketball, I think you would have never seen a team like Gonzaga be able to get into that mix, right? It was the fact that you had 64 and then 68 teams uh, in the mix for basketball that allowed kids who wanted to go to Gonzaga to say, you know, I will get to play in my championship. I may not be the top four, the top eight team, you know, on the first or second line of the NCAA tournament when I get in, but at least I'm going to be playing in the tournament. And that allowed them to, over time, build a program, which is now a top 10 program. And I think that's what happens. I think when you have more access uh, kids are broader in how they think about where I can go to school and still participate for a national championship. And then it takes time, but that over time allows for a much more democratic spread of the talent across college football. Commissioner, that leads me right into my next question. I have to say, I must applaud you first on being willing to address the realities rather than just basically blow smoke over them. And you've been great. And I was at the Pac-12 title game and you were downstairs giving the press conference and you spoke openly about keeping kids that are growing up into the Pac-12 communities local and rather than having to go out. I, I'm, a, I'm a Phoenix kid myself, went to Arizona State, and I can recite all the kids who left. I mean, they just get nobody, basically. Keely Ringo, who makes the interception for Georgia to seal it, goes to Saguaro, which is right there in the Phoenix area, coached by a coach who has legendary ASU roots, the defensive coordinator. He and his brothers played at ASU, and nevertheless, the kid goes to Georgia. I can't blame them, but you spoke openly about how we have to fix that. Now, my thought for you is we all agree something has to be done, but what are the tangible things that can be done to prevent this from happening because so much of the talent, I just use Arizona because that's a local example. Bryce Young who threw the pass is from Pasadena. Obviously, California is a massive amount of talent. What can be done at the conference level and the individual level to prevent this from happening at such a widespread rate that it is? Yeah, we have, we have so much talent in our footprint. You know, the, the starting quarterbacks at the beginning of the season at Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State and Clemson, Clemson. Um, we're, you know, and Oklahoma, we're all from our footprint, right? It, yep. it, it, yes. it can't happen. So, listen, there's, there's two ways to, I think, tur- turn the tide of recruiting. Well, one is by taking shortcuts, and the other is by making investments. And our, our league is not about taking shortcuts. I mean, we just don't do that. Um, so we have to focus on investments. And I think – those investments come in many different forms, but, but but let's look at two of them, right? Facilities and coaching hires. And I think you've seen in the past couple of years, and particularly in, the, in this past couple of months, significant um, investments in our football program. So obviously, yeah, you guys are very familiar with um, the, the beautiful remodel at Rice Eccles and all the money that was put into that to, 
to make that the stadium it is today. You know, Oregon State pressed the button and exploded the west side of their stadium uh, last week, and they're rebuilding that with $90 million in private funds. Oregon announced in uh, October, I believe it was, uh, a 170,000-square-foot football practice facility. It'll be the greatest practice facility in the country. Um, you saw the investment in coaches, Washington State, Washington, Oregon, right, the defensive coordinator from Georgia, whose team gave up, I think it was, you know, something like 13 passing and rushing touchdowns in 15 games this year. And he's now going to be the head coach at Oregon. Obviously, Lincoln Riley at USC. I mean, there are big investments in football going on across our, our footprint. And that's what's going to get the kids to want to come. And you've already seen five-star kids that had previously committed elsewhere recommit to Pac-12 schools. You've seen kids that were considering other places now in the transfer portal coming back to us. And I think that's going to continue. And I think the investment by one school, I mean, USC and Lincoln Riley is a great example. I think the investment by USC and Lincoln Riley and his coaching staff will have benefits not just for USC, but for, for all of our schools. I think it, uh, you know, kind of the tide that rises all boats. Well, you can talk shortcuts and you can talk investments. Uh, when you say shortcuts, I immediately think of schools cheating and kids getting paid. And PK and I have been doing this for a long time, and we've heard specific stories about people getting 50, 75, 100 grand. And, and coaches off camera, off mic, just laying out who got what. One coach telling us a player who's now in the NBA getting 25 grand for home visits. Just to be, say you're one of the finalists, 25 grand. And they tell us in a way, think, well, this is going on. Now, name, image, and likeness brings all this above board and into the sunlight. And I don't consider name, image, and likeness a shortcut. Maybe you do, and you could expand on that. But I think the conference is going to have to expand on that. Not only a lot of, of, of possibilities for star players, but stuff that's spread all across the roster for everybody so the players who are developing stay at these schools two or three years and develop. Man, that, yeah, there's 50 ways to go with that question. Go any way you'd like. <laughs> yeah, well, listen, as a, as a conference, we're in favor of name, image, and likeness, right? It never made sense to me that if you were a music scholarship student, you could have a YouTube channel and make money off of your name, image, and likeness. But if you did that as a college athlete, you'd lose your eligibility. That just doesn't make sense. There have to be some guardrails. And the guardrails that I think everybody agrees on is that name, image, and likeness the amount you get paid has to be tied to actual work you do and the use of your name, image, and likeness. And it can't be used for inducement or pay for play, right? It can't be used as a payment to go to one school over another school or, or to play in the games. And we're seeing that happening. And it, it's so bad that you saw, you know, both Nick Saban and Kirby Smart before the national championship game in their press conferences, particularly call out what a problem and an issue this is for college football. And, uh, you know, the, the problem is that there's no national legislation. We have a patchwork of state laws that differ from state to state. The NCAA has um, not done any enforcement here. And they basically said, if you comply with your state law, you won't lose your eligibility of your student athlete. And by the way, if you're in a state that has no state law, you can do anything you want in name, image, and likeness and not lose your eligibility. So in some respects, it's better to be in a state that has no state law because, you know, you, you're just you can do whatever you want. And until we have 
federal legislation or national enforcement of no inducement and no pay for play, uh, it's the Wild West. And the stories that you've heard, I hear every day. Uh, I know what's happening. Uh, I've talked to the other A5 commissioners about how we can work together to try and solve that issue. Um, but I think we're stuck with it until we get some federal legislation or national enforcement. So are the late start times just a fact of life, given the fact of where we are in the country and we're in the West and mountain and time, a specific time zone? And can we do anything about it? Yeah, one of, one of the greatest strengths of the conference is, uh, unlike the other Power Five conferences, we don't have geographic competition as a Power Five. You know, we have all of the Power Five schools in the mountain and Pacific time zones. That's going to be true until BYU joins the Big 12. Um, so that provides a unique opportunity. If you're a television network, you want to program primetime West Coast games uh, that are Power Five games. And the Pac-12 is your only alternative to provide those quality games in that time uh, kind of frame. And for us, what that means is we get paid more to play a game at you know 7 or 8 p.m. West Coast than if we played that same game earlier in the day. And the, the revenue is important, but we have to balance that revenue against competitive advantage and against national exposure. Obviously, if 75% of the population that lives in the central uh, and eastern time zone is asleep by halftime, that's not good for Heisman voting. It's not good for CFP or AP voting. It's not good for um, you know just the, the popularity of our schools and the brand building we need to do. So there are creative ways to trade that off. In our next media rights deal, if I had to guess, we would agree to play those games, but I think we'd want a little bit more control over which teams are playing in those games during what part of the season, because right now we have no control. ESPN and Fox, who are our great partners, have the right to basically tell us, sometimes with six days notice or 13 days notice, these are the teams we want to play in that late game. And... You know, it ends up obviously being our best teams, and those are the teams that we want to be able to highlight nationally, or those are the players who are eligible for a Heisman Trophy vote that we want to highlight. And, you know, I think historically, you know, David Shaw will tell you, I think he's been public about the fact that he thinks Stanford lost two Heisman Trophies because of those late games. So, you know, we, we have to work on the structure and get a little bit more flexibility, uh, but I don't think we're not going to play those games because they're valuable. Having lived in California, I think they're not only valuable for TV, I think that a large portion of the fan base likes primetime West Coast football. And 8.30 is a little awkward for this time zone, but 7.30 works great if you're in L.A. or San Francisco. So I don't, I don't think you can completely run from that. I wonder if you can get a balance where your two best teams or the Heisman candidates are playing in the second or third TV window uh, two games that probably feature the middle of the league are in the late night window unopposed, and two games are on the Pac-12 network, and they probably involve teams that aren't going to be bowl eligible or teams that are last in their division, that kind of stuff. Is, is that kind of balance, are you going to be capable of getting that kind of deal? Yeah, again, everything's a trade-off, right? If, if you're willing to accept a little bit less revenue, the networks will give you a little bit more flexibility. And the great news is there are partners. They want our league to be successful, and they understand those challenges. So we'll work on that as part of the media rights negotiation. I will say that um, you know playing in primetime for a television audience is great. I do hear, and I think it's a real concern, 
from some of our schools that it's difficult for fan attendance and for building kind of a family tradition of, you know, the kids yeah. come into the games their entire childhood when, when you have those late games. And that's particularly true for some of our schools where more of their fan base, you know, it, you got to drive 90 minutes from Portland to get to Corvallis. And, you know, that, that, that's an issue. And when the game ends at 10.30 or 11, you know, that, that, that's, that's different than if the game ends, you know, late afternoon. So it, it's all a balance. We'll, we'll work through all of these. I mean, the, the great news about all of this is uh, the athletic directors, the presidents and chancellors who make up my board and are my bosses uh, and the conference office are all 100% aligned in what we're trying to achieve and will be collaborative about figuring out solutions. With this alliance that has been created, as far as scheduling for football, what is your idea and what would you like to see be implemented and when as far as the non-conference scheduling, given the alliance or maybe even beyond that? Well, you know, when I joined college athletics seven months ago, I joined with very little collegiate athletic experience. And I was always a fan, uh, but there are things that just never made sense to me. So, the, you know, the top of that list, it's a long list, but the top of that list about what doesn't make sense in college athletics is that we schedule co- college football games, you know, 10, 12, 15 years ahead of time. Right. Uh, Utah has a home and away series with LSU in 2031 and 2032. How does that make sense? So uh, the, the thought is, how do you make sure that you have teams to play that are quality teams that will lead to, you know, kind of great, great matchups? If, if you don't actually go and schedule those games and contract those games way in advance, particularly if everyone else is doing it, what teams are going to be left to play? So Nirvana, North Star for football scheduling for the Alliance is each of the three conferences eventually, and again, consistent with existing contractual obligations and consistent with the need to include the media partners in figuring this out, eventually we each get to a place where we've agreed to play eight conference games and one game against each of the other conferences every year. So Pac-12 teams would have eight conference Pac-12 games one game against the ACC, one game against the Big Ten. One of them, those games would be home, the other would be away. That would switch from year to year. Uh, games 11 and 12, the athletic director and the football coach can schedule. They can make sure they have seven home games. They can make sure they have two games that are you know, not power five games, if that's what, if that's what they want. Um, and the amazing part, if our 12 teams know that they've got 12 games against the Big Ten, 12 games against the ACC, is you don't have to schedule those years in advance. You wait till the end of the previous season, you look at matchups for next season, and you schedule those matchups. And it allows you to be much more dynamic about creating great product. You can, if, if two brothers are playing on, on different teams in different leagues, you can match up those two teams. If there's a great bowl matchup that you know goes into triple overtime and you want to have a rematch of that bowl the following season, you can do that. You can really do made for television. The other thing that you could achieve is that one of the coaches say says, Hey, I'm you know, I'm I'm trying to recruit a kid in Michigan. I want to play, you know, in, in the state of Michigan next year. You, you can to some extent make those kind of things happen. So 
again, I just, I just think there's lots of examples of this. For me, the, the best example, I, I was an ACC kid. I was a Virginia guy. I, I remember the excitement of the ACC Big Ten Basketball Challenge where the announcement about who you were going to play came out you know, a couple months before and not years before. And we, we can achieve that same thing in football, I think. Um, lots of hurdles to get there. It'll be several years, but I think eventually we'll get there. George Klavkov joining us, Pac-12 commissioner. One thing that would help more exposure with the league is if there were more networks and more TV windows. Part of the alliance and the scheduling out the championship is to uh, create uh, championship opportunities for other networks. Is CBS going to get into college football? And not just with the one window they have with the SEC, but when that deals up, will they be televising two or three games every Saturday? Because obviously that would open some opportunities for the Pac-12. Yeah, I don't want to talk about any specific networks um, because we've talked to all of them, and I don't want to disclose any anything you know, that, that's confidential. What I will tell you is in a world where less and less people are getting their video product on um, the satellite and cable every year and where uh, you know, over-the-top the direct-to-consumer services are popping up every day and competing against each other uh, for, for subscribers and where – you know, every piece of glass connected to the internet is now a device where you can watch, you know, a game. Um, there are, you know, a lot of folks who want the content that we have to sell. And when our media rights come up for renegotiation, we're going to have multiple bidders for every tier of our rights because it's such a valuable product. There's no more valuable video product than live sports. It, it attracts the right demographic, by the way, particularly Pac-12. Uh, our, our alumni uh, are higher net earners than, you know, kind of any other group. Uh, it, 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 it allows you to run commercials that are more valuable because it's live. People are less likely to fast forward through commercials. They're watching that programming live and they see the commercials. It aggregates large audiences, right? More than 90 of the top 100 watch television programs last year were sporting events. Um, so it, everything about it uh, indicates that it's the most valuable programming, and it's programming that is generally sold somewhat exclusively uh, for, for the Tier 1 product. So we're, we're going to have a line of people um, wanting to buy the product, and it's going to include lots of television networks, not, not just our existing partners. I believe before you took this job, Commissioner, that you did extreme deep diligence and did deep dives on everything. And you had certain things that you felt like had to have happened in order for you to say yes, because you knew full well of all the issues that you were getting into. I mean, it, and it went crazy as you've, you've spoken on Twitter, you know, within what days you had the Big 12 with the two teams leaving to the SEC. And now you probably couldn't have predicted that maybe. But I'm wondering for you, as far as the financial investment, because I've been looking and reading other interviews that you do. I spent 23 years in newspapers, so I always scour the internet every day as far as that goes. And I saw some interviews that you did in terms of wanting the presidents and chancellors to make that financial commitment necessary. Did you have that set up that, okay, if I take this job, these are the things that I need you to do? You understand what I'm saying? Sort of be in it to win it, so to speak. Well, what I, what I would say is um, during the interview process, uh, I was so sure I wasn't getting the job that I, I thought I could be incredibly transparent with the presidents and chancellors who were interviewing me, right? And I kind of laid it all on the line. And I said, listen, I, you know, we're the 
we're the Conference of Champions. You know, we've won more NCAA titles in 54 of the last 60 years and each, each of the last 16 years than any other conference. And that's great. But the economic engine that drives college athletics and allows us to invest in all of those other sports is, you know, 70% football, 30% men's basketball. And um, we have not won a uh, championship in those two sports in 17 years. And I think in order to be successful in everything we do and to continue to support thousands of student athletes and give away all these scholarships and build the facilities that support all these other uh, Olympic sports. And uh, we, we need to be good in those two sports. And I, I didn't have the answers, and I'm not sure I have all of the answers yet, but I, I certainly said that to the presidents and chancellors when I were, was interviewing, and they all agreed. And for me, I wasn't asking for specific financial commitments, or but, but just the ethos in the room was, yeah, like we have to be good in those two sports. And it will be a building process, right? It, 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 it's a long climb out of the valley that we're in, but we'll get there. And there's a, there's a certain cyclical nature of this stuff, but, but it is 17 years. And, um, you know, they, they were all aligned with that as part of the priorities that I was saying I would bring to the conference. And when I was announced in May, again, two, two and a half months before I actually took the job, it was one of the four kind of pillar priorities for the league to be good in football and good in men's basketball. And I wouldn't have said that if I didn't think the presidents were aligned with me. George Klavka, Pac-12 commissioner, joining us. Uh, the Pac-12 basketball tournament, they've tried L.A. and they've tried Las Vegas, and I think everybody thinks Las Vegas is better. The football game just drew over 50,000 in Vegas LA's got a brand new stadium and you're playing in the bowl game in there. Oregon State was there year one against Utah State. At some point, do you need to try LA or do you think the Pac-12 title game is a Vegas event and it, it needs to stay in Vegas and grow? Well, we, we have another year on our existing deal to play at Allegiant Stadium in Vegas. Yeah, I, I was kind of on the other side of that deal because my previous job at MGM Resorts in Vegas, we, we, we helped bring both the basketball tournaments and the football championship game to Vegas. And I was, you know, sitting on the other side of the table for those negotiations. I think Vegas is a great spot, but we're not counting out any other opportunities. So far stadium is amazing. Uh, you know, the Jimmy Kimmel Los Angeles ball was, was really fun. Uh, and that's a terrific venue. Um, but you know, I don't want to like say we're committed one place or another, right? The cities benefit from having us there, and there's a little bit of a bidding opportunity uh, for the conference, and we'll go through that when we're ready to extend to the next set of football championship games, and um, we'll certainly look at other places. But I, I can't say enough good things about how Allegiant Stadium and the Raiders and Las Vegas have treated us. Uh, both in basketball and football. What's your gut instinct, Commissioner, on the actual parameters of the playoff? My gut instinct is that we're going to expand. My gut instinct is that it's going to be 12. Could, could be eight, although the SEC has very clearly said we're you know we're not going we're not going to vote in favor of eight, only 12. Um, I, you know I I think the interesting thing is if you focus on. Uh, what we need to change it in the current 12-year term, right, that runs through 2025, um, you need unanimous consent of all 11 folks in the room. 
And that has proven to be really, really difficult. Um, you know, there are other issues, but the format is the big issue. And there's not a single format that has 11 yes votes. Um, if you focus on, well, the contract ends at the end of the current term and in year 13 and beyond, we currently have zero commitment to each other. Like there's, there's, there's no grant of rights. There's, there's, there's no contract beyond year 12. There's nothing. So there's a group, a subgroup of that 11 that could say, hey, from year 13 and beyond, we want to have this structure and this format. And then the others who are not part of that conversation or who originally said no to a particular format would have to make a decision about whether or not to join the group. How many need to be in that group and who needs to be in that group, I think is up for debate. Uh, you know, I would, I would consider the Pac-12 to be one of the people that would have to be part of that group to, to make it, um, you know, a, a legitimate enough playoff that others would have to decide whether or not to join. But, um, you know, that, that's the way to focus. The way to focus is what does it look like beyond year 12? And then once you have that format set up for beyond year 12, since by definition – it's going to be more access for everybody. I think it's pretty, pretty easy to say, hey, can we shoehorn that in for years 11 and 12 as well? And people will say yes. But we've been focused for most of the last you know, seven months on what can we get 11 people to say yes to? And I just think we're at a point where we have to stop having that conversation because it's clear we're not getting there. Well, that's some serious power politics to end on right there. I appreciate that. Commissioner, we appreciate you coming on and uh, really laying this all out for all the uh, the Pac-12 fans listening. Thanks for joining us and look forward to having you on somewhere down the road again. We really appreciate it. Excellent. Thank you so much. I appreciate the time and your support of Pac-12. Thank you. George Klyavkov, Pac-12 commissioner, joining us right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, PK, we got to go to break here. I know normally we do feedback, but I think today we need to skip it. I think a little reaction to what the commissioner just said. Uh, my immediate reaction is, wow. All right. Uh, we'll get to that coming up next. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Lee's Heating and Air. Lee's Heating and Air. Home to the award-winning line of American Standard Furnaces and Air Conditioners. Call Lee's now for their $59 furnace tune-up special. Or visit them online at leesheatac.com. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Time for the feedback of the day brought to you by Thrive Appliance. Every day is like a holiday sale at Thrive Appliance. Save 40 to 70% off brand name appliances. Thrive is receiving truckloads of new inventory every day. Visit thriveappliance.com to shop their updated inventory. And we're going to start with our feedback to the commissioner, PK, right at the end when he started getting into your question on the the playoff and going forward and gut instinct and laying out how it would play out. I mean, he says it in a really measured tone. He doesn't say it in an aggressive, in-your-face tone. But when he's laying out how it works, and there's billions of dollars at stake, and it's a big old poker game, I mean, he's not blinking. And there's some competition here with some pretty big bullies who don't mind reaching out and taking all the chips from the middle of the table straight out of your favorite Western. <laughs> ESPN and the SEC, they got the cowboy hats pulled low, and they will reach out, and the guns are on the table. I mean, it is high stakes for billions of dollars. When, when they come out with whatever this 6, 12, whatever, however long they sign for this playoff, it's going to be an enormous number. There's a lot of money at stake. And when he lays out, well, if you want to be in, you want to be in. If you don't want to be in, you don't want to be in. 
listen, this is what the alliance is really about. And the scheduling, if it works out, that'll be great, that'll be nice. But what is it really about primarily? The Big Ten, the Pac-12, and the ACC are pushing back against the SEC and ESPN. And I expect CBS is going to have at least a doubleheader, if not a tripleheader. And I would expect, and the Big 12 might end up in this. I'm not ruling that out. But I would expect at minimum one Big Ten and one Pac-12 game. Maybe it ends up being you know a Big Ten doubleheader because there's more people in that part of the country trapped in bad weather, watching football, massive schools with massive alumni fan bases. You know, they're, they're not the SEC, but they're the only thing that's close. Uh, so it, that, that CBS deal may not be split down the road, but somehow, some way, that's going to work out. And this guy, he's super nice, and it was really nice of him to come on and talk to us for half an hour. But man, at the end of the day, he's playing for keeps. Yeah, I like the fact that he didn't think he was going to get the job, so he could sort of shoot from the yeah, hip. <laughs> that was funny yeah. and true. You could see why that yeah. would play out that way. Because he had a great job, so it's not like he needed it. And so to go ahead and here's what you guys need to do. And I think what they need to do first is make sure they get an automatic seat at the table because then you can go with these glamour games that he's talking about. Steal some of the thunder away from the uh, SEC. And at minimum, you know, you're not starting those games. If each team is going to play a Big Ten or an ACC game away, it's obviously not going to be at – uh, 1030 at night back there so it's going to be earlier so it can be more in prime time to showcase this and you don't have to worry about losing and then getting dumped out of your conference uh, if you lose a conference game and then no longer being in the playoff hunt so I like what he's envisioning going forward and I like as far as the individual players keeping them local let's invest as much as we can in all that we can do under our control in terms of facilities and whatnot so we give these kids an opportunity and then if they get an automatic bid they know win the conference and you're in. I really think the automatic bid sets them up to possibly, not guarantee, but possibly achieve or go in the direction of achieving of what they want to achieve. I read a really interesting piece about a week ago that the key to uh, leveling out the the highest level of college football so that Alabama and Georgia, or in another year LSU or whoever, but that that top team or two they're pulling down such an outrageous percentage of the top 100 players. And what it isn't going to be is a school taking them down. You know, suddenly Utah has 65 four-stars. That's not how it's going to happen. What's going to happen is, and this is to his point about the 12-team playoff and why I think they're angling for it. So if 12 teams are in, then theoretically at least 25, but probably 30 or 35 teams are saying, come here, you could be in. And so now the top 100 teams are spread out, and nobody gets 20 of them anymore. If you get five of them, you've had a big year. But Alabama's got seven kids transferring, and they're all four or five stars because they're buried by other four or five stars. And so spreading that talent out, no one school is going to turn into the next Alabama. But if the top 100 kids are spread across 40 schools, and everybody's got five of them at most, but maybe just one or two, that then the top of college football will be much more even. And based on who's healthy, who has a strong junior and senior class, those will be the schools that have a big year, and then they'll drop off. Instead of, it's Bama, it's Bama, it's Bama, it's Bama, again and again and again. Yeah, the whole mindset of these top four or five guys, stars I'm talking about, is, okay, do I go to Georgia? Do I go to Alabama? Uh, Do I go to LSU? Uh, maybe Ohio State, throw them in there. 
but so many of them aren't even considering our schools. And I've been harping on this long before it's become an issue because I've seen the departure of so much talent in the state, my home state of Arizona. And now it's like, it's catching on more and more. And because we're seeing the California kids literally go as far away as they can go and still be in the U S well, you have to clearly on top of that PK, he's clearly on top of what you're talking about because he just went right through and started listing high profile schools with quarterbacks from the PAC 12 footprint. And he clearly, he was not reading off a list, as we might have had guests do in the past. Uh, it was clearly off the top of his head. Right. I mean, we know it. I know it. I've known it for years. And it's 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 a pandemic, in a sense, in for the Pac-12 in a negative way. And they've got to change it. They've got to do everything in their power to get away from that and start going in the right direction. of keep Because that's where it's going to be. And if you give these kids an opportunity and they've got everything that they need comparably – versus the other side of the country, the uh, Southeast, obviously, and then Ohio State and maybe one or two others in other parts of the country, then you have a shot to keep them. And that's what they need to do. And it's become a massive problem. And he's absolutely right. The only reason why Christian McCaffrey did not win the Heisman Trophy his last year in college is because of the lack of exposure relative. I don't even remember who got it, but clearly McCaffrey should have gotten it. He was sensational and he didn't get it. It was an absolute joke. All right, DJ PK, we are out of time. Jake and Ben are next. Have a good weekend. We will see you coming up tomorrow or on Monday. What, Yuck? Rudy Gobert news. Oh, the Rudy Gobert news. Please pass this along. This will excite jazz fans. Rudy Gobert has apparently cleared COVID protocols. They went one and four with him out, but he's expected to be hopefully available for Sunday. Clearing well, on, uh, yeah. both Rudy's too. Rudy Gay also. So the Jazz starting to get some guys back. And Joe Ingles is back and vowing not to get thrown out. Uh, hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Yeah. There are a bunch of hilarious responses to what Joe should I do. Knew. One of them, one of them, PK was he should wear his wife's netball uniform to the next Jazz well, game. Would, uh, I don't know. It's, oh come on! When they do those walk-in shots into the arena and you're wearing no, whatever, it'd no, be hilarious. No, 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 no. I am not for that whatsoever. <laughs> I have issues with that. Not happening. All right. When we come back, Jake and Ben are here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.